Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Delicious things to eat. The popcorn can't be beat. The sparkling drinks are just dandy. The chocolate bars and the candy. So let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. I'm a fan of classic movies. Hello and welcome to Overlapping Dialogue, a podcast of double features dedicated to programming the finest, most eclectic, and downright bizarre film pairings and cataloging the discussions that ensue. We're your gruesome twosome, Kyle and Levi Huffman. I'm Kyle. And I'm Levi. And welcome to episode 89, getting on up there, as we said last time, I think. How you been, Levi? I've been good. Uh, been busy. That's why we're a little late on this one, which is why that we're going to have to uh, talk about uh, the Super Bowl a little bit late, but don't worry, it won't last long. Yeah, and you our know. movies today, of course, are Mo' Better Blues uh, and If Bill Street Could Talk, two terrific movies in their own ways. Uh as I said last time, oh, we're going to get this, you know, under the wire for Black History Month. Well, turns out it's going to be a day short of that because this should be dropping, I believe, on March 1st. Unless we release it on Thursday. Question but again, if February was a functional month, then this wouldn't be a problem. But as we know, yeah. February, the shorter month, I, one of my uh, best friends, Devin, uh, he's black, and we were we were joking one time, as we often do about a great many things, that... Um, why? Why they gotta give black people like the shortest month of the year? You know, that's actually uh, as a history teacher, I'm ashamed to say. Off. Why don't, don't we have a white people month? <laughs> why don't we have white history? History. Probably because all the history you know is white history. How about that, dummy? But I was gonna say racist idiot hick. <laughs> like, uh, but anyway, I didn't know offhand why exactly. Uh, it is in February. I just looked here. It says. That uh, was selected to encompass the birthdays of two great African Americans who played a prominent role in shaping Black history. Of course, Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday is in uh, January, mm. um, so I'm not sure exactly who they would be talking about with that. Then um, it's funny. Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass. Who I'm actually in the middle of reading a Frederick Douglass. Yeah, I was biography. thinking Frederick Douglass is probably one of them. Kind of funny, Abraham Lincoln's not black, but yeah. okay. Yeah. Um, but uh, it's that funny that it said that. It's like two big ones, and it's like, oh, well, it does say it right there. Yeah. But oh, yeah. I was just yeah, that. I was okay. wondering. I was like, did it not yeah. say who it was? Like, yeah, it was like two two great black historical figures, and it's like, well, one's not. But anyway, um, but I mean, I understand that to a point, but yeah, but yeah, that's that. So, as Levi said, Super Bowl. Thoughts. <laughs> Obviously, our team. The, well, we were hoping so one did win from it yeah. now. Anyway, yeah, uh, we wanted, as we said last time, San Francisco 49ers to win. Two weeks ago, of course, but. they didn't. It was instead the Kansas City Chiefs. Um, and again, and we were talking about this. How like 
those first like day or two after the Super Bowl, that's all people are still talking about. But then like a week goes by and it's like it never happened. It just totally disappears from the ether. And the same can be said of the whole Taylor Swift, Travis Kelsey relationship. They're of course still dating, it seems. But again, the everybody just moves on is ready to move on from and as it's, football fans yeah. we're that way too though right it's i mean funny, we're just yeah, like, how, right, but on. it is funny how that happens with uh certain things when it's just like okay well that's over now so uh i feel like sports that on. happens with strong more strongly than anything else because sports are so much about the live experience in the moment of seeing it and then once it's over whether you watched it or didn't it's like all right what's yeah. the next thing right uh and I'm not just saying this because, oh, it's easy to trash the ads every year. This was an overall weak year for the advertising, though. I think we would agree. Uh, yeah, because, you know, the thing about that is, too, we hate that whole part of the industry of the Super Bowl. and think it's kind of the antithesis of what it should be about in a lot of ways. Which it should be about a football game. For right, yeah. but... But at a point, I've come to just accept mm-hmm. that and just go, okay, well, these are going to be here anyway, so either I can just hate them like I do anyway and be mad about it, or I can just say, okay, whatever, and just put up with it, you know. Right. Um, but, yeah, this was particularly bad, I thought. Um, well, just very unmemorable, just very like, okay, so what, yeah. you know. Right. Uh, but, uh, you know, it is what it is, and... I, you know, Usher, we talked about this, I think, a little bit last time. That He seems like a little bit of an odd choice in the year 2024 to have a halftime show for because, yeah. again, his his music is fine enough, you know, pop slash R&B music, but it doesn't feel really tied to this moment in the culture, really, especially. Right. Even in a way that a lot of garbage music would, you know, like more clearly just not as good music, you know. Um, but... Again, because, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. When I hear that, I can't help but think of, like, the mid-2000s of one of two places, either the Hudson Middle School Gymnasium or uh, Steel Steel Creek Creek Campground, the Saturday night dances they used to have. Or the smell of the plastic on a uh, one of those, like, uh, uh, shooter game gun things at the, like... uh, Carmike and Lenore kind of thing. Yeah, it's right. like, yeah, we're having a good time. We got our we 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 got our pocket full of coins, mm-hmm. like you know, or Hickory Dickory Dock or wherever you know. Um, but yeah, 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 <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, LA <laughs> not claim that word now. So. Yeah. Uh, and another thing is too, even with the film trailers, that we've seen this whole new phenomenon. It's like trailer online. It's like it shows like a very brief. Yes, that one. You show me, and thing. it's like that's a way for them to save money. Right. It's just like, oh, this but go the, watch they, it. Yeah, because they had a uh, really short Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, uh, yeah, version of that. Well, it's funny about that. That had to be the that, most appealing keep, looking movie that was in any way, yeah, advertised. Yeah, I can think. But one funny thing about that, I keep laughing at, is the part with the monkeys. Like, what a wonderful day! But then there's that part. It's like, and its <laughs> mouth still open for a few seconds, and it's like. Yeah. Just kills me. Yeah, you know, we've we talked about that already. Is that we, one day. Well, what I was going to yeah. say is that <laughs> the sad thing is, no matter what happens with that movie, well, sad, not exactly sad, but just the fact is, is we're going to have to then go and yeah. do that movie. In case you, uh, like, a newer yeah, listener, so. we have done commentaries for every single Planet of the Apes film. Uh, and I, 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 we had a great time doing that. And again, this yeah, will, but, of course, be one but that it we was like. Do. 
<sighs> okay. Uh, well, like, well, this will be so far removed from right, when, when we were When doing you get that. to Battle of the Planet of the Apes, you're kind of like, what do you want me to do yeah. now? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, whatever. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah, this will be different because it's removed from that. What's even stranger about that, though, is it's not part of, like, the... Well, it's weird because it is technically part of the whole Matt Reeves like new uh, continuity continuity but it's quotes. not either because it's not even the same characters anyway. well it's like in the future after right, that right but it, yeah. so it's just kind of a which I think makes it even more have the potential to at least be good because it's like so out on a limb doing its own whatever it is do you think like, eventually they're gonna kind of like retcon and have where a version of Taylor enters the fold know. and leads the humans well, or they, something. Well, they did that with that. They had a moment of that in the uh, the first movie of these newer ones, Rise, where it's like, oh, he's flying off, and then they never Footage that, that was clearly from like the yeah, 60s right. and 70s, and which like, is kind of funny. Okay. But, yeah. but yeah, so they'll, I don't know. I mean, we've always said for years the smartest thing to do is to take somebody like Ryan Gosling and put him in a space movie, like a space survival movie. And then at the end, find out, oh, this was all a, like a Planet of the Apes movie or whatever, you know, yeah. not even make a big, that's like the twist. But oh well. Yeah. Now it's spoiled, so yeah. it'll never happen. We were holding out hope that maybe we would see a Beetlejuice, Beetlejuice trailer. Uh, didn't happen, uh, but that's okay. That's fine. We know that's coming down the pike eventually. So yeah, uh, Kansas City Chiefs. They're the new dynasty, well, and we and knew That's that what I was going to say is I mean, like it, part of the problem and why people moved on so quickly is because no one can't, because they're like, oh, yeah, okay, and then just whatever. Yeah. I guess, because uh, it's one of those things that ha- like, but I feel like that didn't even happen with the uh, Patriots even as much as this. Um, you know, as far as, like, after Super Bowl, people are like, oh, yeah, okay, whatever. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it did in a certain way, but, like, I really think the media tried to capture this whole thing so much that people were just so tired of hearing about it, about the Swelsey thing and this and that, and they were just like, yeah, I'm done. We're moving on now. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, you know. Uh, and not that sports requires a lot of analysis, but people are not willing to then analyze things after the fact. They're like, okay, well, moving on, done. Which it also or maybe would, it doesn't even need it. No, that's what I'm saying. saying yeah. Like, but and that's what I was gonna say is the game didn't need the analysis because it was like, yeah, back and forth, and then uh, San Francisco just kind of screwed up by the end and uh, lost. So yeah, whatever. And it, it and it's one of those things people can say all they want about things being fixed, and we've talked about that already. But if you actually watch that game second to second, you could see how the paradigm shifted, and you yeah. know why what happened was what happened. I actually think it was an all right game. Uh, it was just not high scoring, which I know you have a particular love of that anyway, more of the defensive games even than I do, but I still enjoyed it in the sense of well, well, it really was a game, it wasn't a blowout. Halfway towards the end of the third quarter onward, the offenses yeah. started to click, right. especially Kansas City. So, um, Yeah, fine. I'd say a good little game. Uh, it actually went to overtime and went Slightly. deep into overtime. Yeah. Uh, oh, well, I should say yes, there's only a little bit right. left in the overtime That's period, true. But... I forgot. Yeah, because it, it actually went longer because they were not figuring out what they needed to do, I guess. I don't know. No. There you go. Yeah, but that was the Super Bowl, I guess. Uh, yeah. Hope you liked it. Yeah, I, I guess. I don't, I don't care what you did or not. <laughs> uh, all right, Levi. Hope you're hungry. Mm-mm. Relatively. Other than the fact we just ate. But. Well, pull up a chair because it's time. For the Blue Plate Special. Hi, Audrey. 
Norma. Have a cup of coffee, please. Sure. I'll have what she's having. Your explosive diary after eating too much food is right here. Special you know, Taco Bell meal. They should yeah. have the diarrhea bowl or the diarrhea <laughs> yeah. you know, combo or something. The uh, uh, mierda bowl. I mean, make know. literal what we all know happens anyways, you know. Um, yeah. so we it's have, like when Trump was yeah. like, Cinco de Mayo, I'm eating like a taco, taco salad bowl. And, and I love Hispanics. Yeah. It's like... <laughs> We've Says been, the guy who literally is putting up fences wanting to keep him out. Yeah, you well, love him yeah, so I much. Yeah, I mean, the whole, his whole stake of his candidacy in 2015 when he started was like, I'm going to build a wall and I'm going to keep all these rapists and illegals yeah, out. You know, right. Great guy and all that. Not really. Um, it's funny, too. I don't want to get too political, but, uh, you know, uh, the migrant crisis. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It really seemed like that big of a deal to me. People want to come here, they can come here. I don't really care. Speaking of crises, not really. Let's just skirt right Uh, out of that. (laughs) I just wanted to make that clear that the migrant crisis, more like uh, the migrant fact. How about that? Uh, That's more what I want to call it because I don't really see it as a crisis. Well, uh, since some policies have been enacted early this year, the numbers have dramatically decreased. Yeah, Uh, but no, no, that's not what's going on because... Because it has to be a crisis for the Republicans to get voted back in. So, no, it's mm-hmm. no, Kyle. It's not working. Like. Something that could be a campaign issue. This is something that should be debated between yeah. Trump and Biden um, come, you know, uh, as we get closer and closer to November. Big piece of news item that dropped recently that Sam Mendez, so we can talk a little bit about him and his track record and how that might factor into this. Um, <laughs> track record. It was reported recently that he's going to produce and direct four separate films regarding each member of the Beatles, which of course includes Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, John Lennon, and George Harrison. Uh, said they're going to be the very first Beatles biopics to have full cooperation from them and their families. Uh, the plan is that, again, these are going to be standalone feature films that are going to be released I guess throughout the year in 2027. Um, a lot to unpack with this news. I know when this news dropped on Twitter, of course it had a field day. And I am still going to call it Twitter. I'm not calling it X. Um, yeah, I don't do that. Uh, everybody was like, you know, all the easy jokes were like, what's the Ringo movie going to be? And everybody reacting to what that is. Um, when you heard this news, Levi, like, what was your immediate reaction to hearing Sam Mendes is about to direct four Beatles movies, and they're all going to presumably be from the point of views of each of the Fab Four. Well, it's kind of shocking this hasn't been done before now. Um, when you say that, do but, you mean just like a big Beatles movie? Well, or yeah, frankly, yeah, I mean, and part of that is because I think, and the Beatles had their movies. They were in their movies. Yeah, well, yeah. And so maybe that's why. Yeah, Yeah, but but it's not like it's like they were concert films, you know, like it happens with everybody else, right? It's like, or, and you know, Elvis had his movies, but like that was a different, like the Beatles were more of a, a, 
pop culture version of themselves where they could do well they were more tongue-in-cheek about their own personas right. as opposed to elvis and it elvis. was more it was more, more godar it was more godar-esque in the sense of let's make these weird music videos and kind of put them together into a movie and like that's the only way we can actually Very get this to you cutting like, edge for their days right. yeah and so like richard that, lester was one yeah. of the guy behind a lot of those and so that, that made sense yeah so that kind of makes sense to me of why we haven't had a Beatles movie necessarily. is And also it's because it's the Beatles. How do you even make a movie about the Beatles? Like, And also, you know, like what I just read, um, like you have to get the cooperation of all of them involved because they are, like any artists of import, certainly the extent that they are, have strict control over what their so image is, and they're not. Paul just and Ringo are fine with that. it. So then, is it what is it like? They said the Harrison family, right? And I was going to say the Lennons the full and, and Ono's. I guess, yeah, yeah. That's what I was wondering. Is if they you said that, but I didn't yeah. hear that part. But yeah, that um, yeah. So I mean, and I think that they would be more willing to be open to just examining themselves. Like I'm not saying they're going to totally not try to whitewash it in certain ways, but like. I feel like that would be a more accurate version of that in the sense of seeing it from their perspective. Because there's always that famous fact or kind of factoid everybody says is that every Beatle thought they were the one on the outside of the Beatles, which showed exactly what the problem was. The fact that George Harrison would feel like he is on the outside more than Ringo is, it makes me laugh. Well, I think the point, but... undeniably... Paul and John are right. the leaders of the band. But, and that's not yeah. to any way disparage the brilliance that George Harrison, of course, has had after the Beatles and yeah. throughout the rest of his career. And then there's Ringo, who everybody well, yeah. loves. Right, but, what, fine, but, but I can see yeah, with right, John right, and right. Paul where they would have enough of an ego to yeah, think right. that way. But George, I think it's funny that he would think, well, they're clearly the leaders, but it's me and Ringo, and Ringo's winning. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, right. I don't, you know what I mean? Like That, I think, is the most interesting idea of all those. Yeah, right. But, um, so, yeah. And, and it's strange that also, this is just a random thing, but that... Paul McCartney being a bassist, usually it would have been like George and John because they're the guitarists. Yeah. But you know, well, that's so, kind of what rock has it, become, right? But then it like, mattered. Yeah. yeah. But like I said that's just kind of an, another interesting thing to me about that. Well, there's the whole, I guess, but, Paul and John songwriting dynamic that's the main that has thing, become, yeah. you know, mythic almost to an right. extent. Yeah. But anyway, so that's all to say that I'm all for it uh, in that sense, and I'm more for these broken up versions of things anyway you don't get those that often um but i've been hearing more of stuff like that here recently like oh i'm gonna make three three hour movies and that kevin costner thing yeah, and right. like or uh this or you know like different versions of that kind of thing mm -hmm. you get that more in novels obviously than you do like the cormac mccarthy books that come out recently about they were kind of released separately and then put the, the, together uh, the marlon james and fantasy. the marlon james stuff yeah uh, but like so this is interesting like in that sense of like oh wow we're really gonna do that and go all out and do each movie and i wonder how long each movie will be and and you know that that'll be a whole big project I think this should also um, be discussed in the context of the music biopic, which we're yeah. going to talk about one in here in just a little bit. That That's obviously, I mean, they've been making those for forever. But especially in the last 10 to 15 years, it seems like the studios have figured out that's one of the few things that is going to be a guaranteed box office draw because 
people's relationship to the musicians and the music, and it's kind of a trite genre, but certainly with the success of Elvis, which in of itself was also, there's been all these like Elvis projects kind of adjacent or to the side, but that was the fully-fledged Baz Luhrmann, Austin Butler, epic Elvis yeah. movie that people, whether they knew exactly what that's what they wanted or not, that scratched that itch yeah. for that. And so I wonder yeah. to what extent this is an outgrowth of these other music biopics yeah, that exist. Because, and finally saying, yeah. no, no, we're not playing at the kids' table anymore. We are going to do the Beatles and all right. that, that comes with that. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, obviously you'd had versions of that in the 2000s of Walk the Line and uh, Ray, Ray yeah. and whatever, but I feel like this really started with like Get On Up and Straight Out of Compton, and then since then it's just been... Tons and tons and tons of them. I mean, you I know, know people joke uh, all the time. How can you keep making these movies after Walt Card exists, which lampooned yeah. all of the? And we're going to talk about it again later. Bob Marley, like, it, it's a decent little movie, but again, it's like the genre was so butchered by Walt Card. It literally yeah. broke apart all the beats, and all these movies now are like, oh well, whatever. We're just going to keep making them, right? And not do anything and, uh, truly transformational. Yeah, with it, and know? I mean, I feel like in just to say about that real quick i was re-watching uh we on the night yesterday mm-hmm. afternoon by myself and uh which i don't want to say a whole lot about that movie because we could easily do it on here one of these days but James uh, probably uh, literally when you thought when you say the word flawed masterpiece that's like literally what that is of like that movie swings for the fences so hard and and I won't even say slightly. I think it does miss the mark in some major ways in certain ways, but it's still really a pretty great little movie. But anyway, I was watching that last night, and one of the trailers on the Blu-ray was for Walt Card. I was just kind of laughing to myself. I was like, that and this. Well, also, like, when this you know, news was announced, but, people were resharing the Beatles scene from that. Yeah. You know, uh, right. and saying, like, who should yeah. play the... Who should play him? And then they just share that scene. I thought, that's like, why I thought it was so funny about that was that Jack Black is Paul McCartney. Yeah. It's just so not that. I love like, uh, that part where Justin, Justin uh, Long plays George Harrison in that. Yeah. And he says something like, uh, I'm just trying to get a few more songs on the album. you know." Yeah. And uh, Jack Black is Paul McCartney. He's like, well, you are the quiet one, so why don't you shut the F up? <laughs> 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 then Jason Schwartzman is Ringo, which honestly, that's like, a really in, uh, yeah, inspired that choice. Yeah. And then Paul Rudd is yeah, John Paul Rudd's that great record. Yeah, <laughs> and it cuts back. Yeah, great record. Oh, yeah. Time for that. Like, yeah. yeah, but but uh, but yeah. So that's all to say, right? That it's like, and we even were talking about this just recently with uh, the I'm not there and the Beatles yeah. in that, yeah. and kind of how like everything skirted the Beatles, kind of like you said, like what they did with Elvis, and Elvis was in that too of. Uh, was it Jack White played Elvis in that? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, like, yeah. there's only two people that know Kung Fu. Chinese, Chinese, Chinese and, the king. and the king. And one of them's me. And one of them's me, yeah. <laughs> but, uh, and then he's just like going, rah, 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 and all this yeah. stuff. And then like, he walks away and uh, Dewey's like, the F is he talking about? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, do you think, too, yeah. that the decision to do four movies is to take the pressure off doing the yeah, one right. movie? Yeah. And it, I, I think this is a great idea. Uh, yeah. And I wonder to what extent it's going to move past seventy and get into where they went after right. that, like yeah. or whatever. And and that's what I was going to say. Kind of this is going off to- off track slightly, but I think some of the best music biopics you can make take this different approach. Like you think about the Doors, 
mm-hmm. for example. Which is a movie that came out like thir- you know, 30 years ago. Yeah. Was like made in the midst of that director's like biggest work of like JFK that same year having made Platoon and Wall Street just before that, yeah. born on 4th of July. Like, and then he, he was one like, of the most dominant, oh, important right. filmmakers of that And moment. he's like, I'm going to make a movie about the doors. And it's like, nobody will ever make another movie about the doors, obviously, because that movie is literally the doors movie. Like, if you could imagine. And it feels like, that, a, like a pretty definitive Jim Morrison right. depiction in particular. But what was so weird about that movie was the sense that it was made by an auteur that was clearly fascinated by the political implications of what all that meant. But even. Not in the most expressly political way, but more in this like personal excavation and analysis of where does Jim Morrison actually fit into the politics of the counterculture? Because ultimately, he's more of this poetic figure, you know, that and self destruction rather than explicitly political. In a very different know, context, but, that reminds me of how Mo Better Blues fits into Spike Lee's period. Right. That this is coming, which is literally contemporary to that, which is made by a not an explicitly political filmmaker, but who just made a political film and is doing yeah. something a little different. And it's got this headiness about it without being explicit or in your face. Similarly. Yeah. But. So that's all to just say that what works about the doors is you can't really put your finger on what it's saying or wants to say. It is more of kind of a shotgun blast of a movie that says, this is Jim Morrison and the doors were, and I'm trying to figure this out and I don't totally know that I get it, but here it is. And, here's the movie and it's very like obviously it's not exactly i mean i'm sure a lot of people thought of it at the time like college students and drug culture it was probably that movie was big in drug culture i'm sure in the early 90s but like it's not an explicitly it's not an acid movie exactly but it's like a lot of like supernatural weird stuff going on like even natural born killers would have been more of an acid movie than that would have maybe but like that I don't know, there's just something about that movie that I can't wrap my arms around, which is kind of what I love about it, that it's like I don't really get exactly what this is, and that's why it's great. And then so, also, I mean, I'm not there. We talked right. about that. That's a or, very different kind of movie. A lot of people Bob talked Dylan. about it at the time, and I don't think it's quite as great as people said, but Miles Ahead is another version of that that's like, I don't know exactly what this even is at all. Like, I don't know why this was made and like what it's trying what's to the, say about uh, Miles Davis Paul or Dano, Love and Mercy. Uh, Love and that's Mercy another the, one. The so like, Wilson movie. those are the type of movies that remain memorable to me. Not, spoiler, Bob Marley, One Love, or uh, if I had seen them, Rocket Man or uh, Bohemian Rhapsody or whatever. The very like, more basic, right. conventional. And so, or even this uh, Amy Winehouse movie that's going to come out. Like, you know, a lot of those things, they just, people forget about those other than the fact of, oh, they're just that movie that was this, you know. Yeah. Um, whereas it's always that different take that is the more interesting one, obviously. Like, even Elvis was that in the sense of its style is going to be remember- is memorable in that way. Um, but saying all that, that's to say, I don't know if Sam Mendes is the right person to do that for this. Now, I think the fact that it's going to have the room to breathe and have four whole movies out of it, which could easily be two and a half hours each at least, Yeah. then, of course, there's going to be something more there than not. Yeah. But like you said, the question is, what are we focusing on? Yeah. Because I think what to do, honestly, and the shame about it is, is that this has already happened, is to kind of hang it all on the let it be 
recordings because that's when the band fell apart, yeah, right. or, you know. Mm-hmm. And it kind of already was anyway. But that's already been done with Get Back, which we still need to watch, by the way. Yeah. I haven't gotten around to. But so that's already kind of been done. So it's kind of like, okay, so do, are we going to use, the, like, I'm just interested to see how they, what Yeah, and apparently, do, so. How, what they, see what they do with it, you know? I, I think in the original Deadline article, which, funny enough, like, they were, if you go back and read, I'll pull up here in a second. Yeah. They, like, weirdly are bragging on themselves for breaking the news. I'm going to find this. and This is an exclusive read. story. Like, what are you, Basically, TMZ? Like, uh, what are you, Dan Rather? Was it 60 Minutes? Um, Let's see. I'm going to the original Deadline article here. Uh, I'm just going to read the yeah. first little bit here. In a move that ought to make fans of the Beatles twist and shout. Oh, my God. Sony Pictures <laughs> Entertainment and Oscar-winning filmmaker Sam Mendes and his Neil Street Productions have set plans to make four separate theatrical films, one on each of the members of music's most famous and enduring band. Mendez will direct all four of the films, and this marks the first time Apple Corps Limited and the Beatles, Paul McCartney, Ringo Starr, and the families of John Lennon and George Harrison have granted full life story and music rights for a scripted film. Mendez conceived this grand vision. He'll tell interconnected stories, one from each band member's point of view. The dating cadence of the films will be revealed closer to the film's release. I'm told they're locking down writers quickly. That's another thing, too, that... He's basically conceived of the idea, but he's going to, I guess, probably have writers come in and write the individual movies. You know something that's interesting, by the way? If you go on Letterboxd, literally all of those movies are like the famous Sgt. Pepper's picture of them all set. But what's funny is it's like they're out of order of where they are in the picture. It's like they couldn't even get that right. But But this is what I was talking about here. This is perhaps the most ambitious project Deadline had revealed exclusively since our break that Tom Cruise and director Doug Lyman are teaming with SpaceX and NASA to shoot a narrative film in outer space. When was that? That was a few years ago. I so, think. what, that they've com- been that compli- on their hands? That like? complicated project is still on the launch pad oh at my. Universal. <laughs> Who are the these people? Plans like? are set for <laughs> SPE to finance and distribute worldwide full, full theatrical windows in 2027. Um, shooting a movie in space. So, Sam Mendes, he's made some great yeah. movies. Made Can some I say not great though, movies? American Beauty. We, you know, we we had our piece to say about. You that know what's back. funny about this to me is he just got off doing another one of the most uh, overdone things over the last decade, which is each director's movie movie, oh, Empire right. of Light, was totally which, got forgotten about. Yeah, and so like, there's been all these movies the last few years that have been like, uh, well, let me say this: it's either about movies explicitly, or it's about the nostalgia of their upbringing or like oh this was based on my life or whatever you know because we've had I mean, that the fablemans with, was of course right, the best version roma, of that roma yeah. is another version of that was that yeah. those two are the best yeah and then uh and then after that it's like you have like that uh that movie kenneth Branagh made it what was it belfast oh, that was even or more quickly whatever about like it, yeah and and then this and like there's a couple more i'm not thinking of off the top of my head but like a lot of these movies have been made the last so many years which all kind of ultimately owe themselves to the long day closes by Terrence Davies, which I didn't like at the time I saw. Just yeah. kind of straight up, I was very bored by and thought was pretentious. And so, just saying that now he's like, "What's another kind of thing I can go do?" Well, I guess it's this, you know. Yeah. By the way, I forgot he had done Jarhead, which has my favorite tagline ever: "Welcome to the suck." I mean, <laughs> but his anyway. career is fascinating to look at because it's a it's literally like bouncing back and forth right. of either acclaimed. And or good and or good and then like movies that 
are either forgotten about or yeah. like. So just to go through it real quick again, American Beauty, his first movie. Now yeah. we we know what we think about all that. Not good, but the fact that he came out the gate and made that movie that had that level of attention is. Well, and that was the Alan Ball project ultimately right. as well. That, Road to yeah. Perdition is pretty good. Have you seen that's an that? adaptation? No, of Con. Uh, Jarhead, I've not seen. I've heard that's good. Revolutionary Road is very. Fine. Have you seen that? No, but I'm just thinking about it. The, yeah. the scenes I've seen from Away it, We Go, no ne- one never, ever talks about. I've heard, heard it's heard okay, but... I've never heard of that. It's like a romantic comedy. And then did Skyfall, his which is best movie. his best movie, yeah, one great. of the best Bond movies. Spectre, yeah. one of the worst Bond movies. Yeah. <laughs> Literally, <laughs> one of the worst movies. No, that movie really, to but... me, though, always stands out as one of the worst versions of a victory lap of all time, where it's like, oh, you did the best thing so let me just go do it again for the now. Money. Let's bring back the we have people everywhere guy for no reason. Nineteen Seventeen, which Dunkirk I feel like Part is two. weirdly divisive yeah. now. Right. It's actually really well done. It is, but yeah. not yeah. as good as that. Empire of Light, which totally got forgotten right. about, and then now on Wikipedia, similar to that, it just yeah. says untitled. Right. Uh, Paul McCartney, John. When Lennon, are those all star. set to be made? Twenty twenty seven. Now, so oh, let wow. me give you a pitch. Yeah. The summer of the Beatles, May. June, July, August, they all come out a month That would apart. also be nice in the sense of it would be the 60th anniversary of the Summer, uh, of, Summer Love. of Love. Yeah, yeah. as far as, and also that there that Sergeant Peppers came out that year. Oh, that's too. true. And yeah. so that would be, I think, a big deal. I think I mean, you can come you imagine out one what month. the discourse of that, literally it's going to be a summer-long event. Yeah. Oh, well, that's and, literally... That will grab a hold of the pop culture in a way yeah. that I don't know if we've seen anything that do in a while. They honestly haven't done since the 60s, I don't think. I mean, and they've been big forever. But there's been, and I know you know this, and maybe this isn't the time to talk about this or even to care, but obviously there's this whole fact that the Beatles are seen now as the, by a great deal of uh, our generation. Talking as, about my... Oh, oh, wrong, yeah. wrong, 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 right. sorry. Yeah. <laughs> pinball wizard that's what they had to offer you know not now now there is there are some who you know to speak briefly about the who the who who they are one of those bands to me that like when they are on they are like i mean Bobo on, Rise is one of the greatest songs yes of all time. and that it won't get fooled again and yeah. one of my favorite songs is you better you better you bet yeah. literally you said before about like and r.i.p toby keith by the way yeah, I forgot I, to mention I, I, that. I was thinking about but talking about that. We'll talk about that here in a minute. But uh, you you say, how do you like me now is your like, karaoke song. My song would be, you better, you better, you bet. I could do yeah. that mm-hmm. all day long. But, That's a great song. Like, the, so they're either on or they are like... <laughs> like I mean, like, <laughs> like literally Pinball Wizard is one of the worst things ever made. Like, wow, you really spent time doing that. Like, you know. But so anyway, but of our generation of people, yeah. the Beatles is now actually gone into this like we were actually talking about this the other day uh, about a totally different person that you knew from school years ago that was a big yes. Beatles fan, and we yes. won't go into all that. Yeah. That's a story it's for a some other day. After dark episode. Yeah, but the and what a weird person that was. But um, that yeah, nowadays like the kids that I know who are like. Uh, Beatles fans are more of what you would classify as kind of the not exactly emo, but more of the the alternative kids. Are you talking the, about kids your age? Yeah, no, no, younger. Like so the like kids the I teach is what kids. I mean. Okay, I should have yeah. said that. Yes. Yeah. So like I know a couple kids 
that are into the Beatles. And they seem like perfectly normal people. They're not like emo, like, and they're weird. They're popular enough people, but they're in band, and yeah. they're like in AIG, and they're like really... And so it's like that section of the population is like the Beatles fans now. Right. But even like people your age or a little older are people that are like... Oh, you know, the Beatles kind of suck. I kind of love the Roll, But they don't even say they love the Rolling Stones either. It's weird. It's like, they just are like, oh, the Beatles, who cares about that? Well, there's or a lot like, of things that get equated you know. with, quote, boomer culture that a lot of uh, millennials yeah. and, you know, and younger, they they just detest by virtue of what it is. Like just all by definition of, oh, that's something my grandpa listens right. to or whatever. Um, and, and even like there's that whole Michael Jackson them argument too and I think there's a that, lot there's of, also a Michael Jackson movie coming too oh my god that's gonna be a whole thing <sighs> that we'll talk about Michael Jackson another day but I find it fascinating that he can his his uh, fandom continues to even exist I just find it is severely muted compared to what it used to be I feel yeah like. but it's still out there but there's people though that would be like I'm not into the Beatles, but oh Michael Jackson, and it's like this competition in their mind or something that yeah. I don't really understand. But anyway, that it does seem now though that like the culture, there's a big swath of the culture that is anti-Beatle now. Now most everyone on Twitter is not, you know, like you see anybody that's on like film Twitter or even adjacent to that is are all massive Beatles fans like they are Bob Dylan fans. Um, but. I do wonder though know. if that's if that's if that's true in the mass way. I feel like most people would still no. Hear I'm Beatles just saying it's a go, very oh, vocal. Like it's a very vocal minority yeah. that exists um, uh, that I've noticed in the culture the last so many however years, and it's usually people who just want to be angry about things anyway and just be like, I don't like that, like mm-hmm. or older, you know they're trash or or even you know and i know people who are big beatles fans who then hate the beach boys and i'm like why and because there's that whole competition yeah, yeah, there both and i'm like they're them. both great why can you not like both of them yeah. like i mean and and you know on an average day mainly just because i've listened to the beatles so much over the years on an average day yeah i might would maybe rather sit down and listen to the beach boys just because i haven't heard yeah, that right. as much but but something also is that when i was growing up I was a lot more into the the later Beatles, the the cool Beatles, you yeah. know. But as I've gotten older, I've more and more liked the, the pop Beatles, popular, or yeah. even that middle period Beatles. That's like, you know, uh, a Rubber Soul era or Help era, like you know, a little further away from their like most bubblegum version of themselves. But where it's like, I don't know, it's just a really uncool opinion to not like the Beatles, which seems obvious. But that seems like that's more and more of a kind of a thing now. Oh, that's now, just but hipsters in general. I know, but it, just it's just like stupid whatever. because, I don't know. But anyway, that's all to say that I think this will be its own renaissance of Beatlemania, like I said, if they do that that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. And I would like that to happen more often where they make multiple movies and they come well, out over I a short too, period. Well, I think, too, you know, when you I know. heard this, it almost sounded like, oh, this would... Uh, this could eat. I'm not saying I want this to be true, but this could be like a TV show, or yeah. this could be a mini series. But they're doing it instead as movies, which I'd prefer, anyways. But um, I mean, this is a huge like wow. The potential for this is high. 
But again, the Sam Mendes of it all could make it hit or miss, and the movies themselves could be hit or miss. Right. I mean, you know, there's going to be people that totally cape and uh, go crazy for the Ringo movie. Right. Just and just, yeah, and like, that's the thing. It's like, what are we going to do with that? Like, I don't know, you know. That'll basically focus on him literally writing a little help for my friends, and that's <laughs> kind of all it is, you know. It's like, oh, I'll do that, and... Uh, it, you know how interested would you be again they might like do this spread out over weeks and months which yeah. would probably be the best thing but like of having a single screening of all four of these They'll back, do that. To back to back to back that honestly would maybe happen at can or something yeah. uh and then they would but just as yeah. you as a viewer would you be interested in seeing that? i would like to see them separately but that's me but then yeah. I'll, i would eventually like to do that but yeah. i mean they're going to be long anyway yeah i mean everybody knows that the best one's going to be the george movie anyway because i feel like there's so much there to deal with in its own way you know um compared to the others uh because I'm thinking in my mind this, like, him going to India is like this Malcolm X going to Mecca, like, yeah, section right, of right. the movie and the way that's going to be filmed. And it's like, this is effing life. Like, yeah. you know, it's like, I just can already see that in my mind, like, which I'm fine with, but, yeah. you know. But, yeah, I I don't know. I mean, it, it's All the most annoying people in your life are going to like the John one the most. <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah, definitely, yeah. Well, just like everybody who prefers John well, to Paul anyway. That's what I'm saying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it's like, yeah. I mean... Yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, it it should be, either way, like you said, if it goes the way we hope it will and like it easily could, then that will be, uh, I think, an important and fascinating kind of a, a little section of a year to just do that. And hopefully they'll all come out that quickly, too, because, and those could be big summer movies, I said. And, uh, and I think those movies make a lot of money. Like, I think if you did just one Beatles movie and make money, but, like, I think making that, rolling that, because as I've, you know, as we've talked about and as I wrote about with uh, the uh, Barbenheimer, we now have to make things viral events to make money yeah, right. in, at the movies. Like, they have to be this, like, groundswell, water cooler thing, which is what it's always been, strangely. It's just that now it has to happen in this really arcane, like, putting the cart before the horse way. AMC know. should do like a, uh, you buy like your summer Beatles pass and have it look like an old concert ticket from the 60s. And each and like, bucket. Yeah. Different, yeah. but can you imagine like four different Beatles heads buckets? Like that'd be the coolest thing ever. It's yeah. like, they're literally look like that and they're all the, the like, but, but not the like Sergeant Pepper era, the like, the the bowl cut mop top era beetle yeah. like you know the Ed Sullivan era and mm-hmm. just do that with each other like, obviously we've not even said this at all it goes without saying the casting of this is going to be incredibly crucial yeah I was kind of wondering who that would even be it would probably be a bunch of young guys that yeah. aren't even a thing yet well uh, we don't but, have to complain about uh, oh they're just going to get all these young British guys to do these American parts it's like well no they're, well, they're, they're, they're the British they got tons and no, of let's get a talent. bunch of Americans to do it yeah. for once and see, what, <laughs> see, what, see how that goes you know yeah so I mean it's a lot of potential but a lot of will we'll just have to wait and see mm, because yeah. uh, you know there's still not a whole whole lot it's of weird too because two this. of them are still living and the sad fact is that's long enough away where I'm sure they're still in good health, but I think they are. Either yeah. of them could be gone by then. You know, who knows? But hopefully not. But I'd like them to live as long as possible. But you know, anyway. Speaking of music biopics, 
Bob Marley, Bob Marley won, won love. Now, um, Peace. as it says here, it's based on the Cow. life of reggae Cow. singer Peace. Peace. <laughs> and songwriter Bob Marley from his... Uh, what, you should best say Bob Dylan? I was like, what? Uh, rise to fame in the mid-1970s up until his death in 1981. Robert uh, Marley. Mm. G- uh, Kingsley Ben Adir, I yeah. believe is the name of the actor who played him. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not super familiar with the music of Bob Marley. Um, we certainly are aware of it, but yeah, uh, but we we didn't come from a house where we heard a lot of reggae. That's no shot yeah, at reggae. That's right. just not part of the tradition of music we're very familiar with. Probably the most I was familiar with Bob Marley was I mentioned him earlier. Uh, Marlon James wrote a very great book, a terrific book called "A Brief History of Seven Killings," which is in many ways a fictionalization of the attempt on his life, which is depicted in this movie. Yeah. Uh, but it kind of uses that as a jumping-off point to talk about larger societal things going on in Jamaica during this time. And so it's it was a little bit of an entryway into that and see some of that. But right. um, I've read some of that book, but I haven't ever finished it. But um. As we said, I don't know how much we want to talk about this, but fine, perfectly fine movie. The music, some of which I'd obviously heard before, some of which I haven't. At that point, and I actually, I've not been going doing a big deep dive or anything, but I've actually listened to a little bit more Marley music after this. And uh, yeah, that's been a fine experience. Yeah, uh, I thought the those movie, were this, the best sequences of the movie yeah. were the concert scenes because I was like, oh, I haven't heard this before. Which or, is just me not having not heard it. But, well, also, you know. I think this movie actually does an interesting thing about the writing of music. Yeah. It is a little bit of a uh, a biopic-y, like, genre conceit. But, like, um, that one scene where they write that Exodus song, uh, I thought that was, like, a really yeah. interesting depiction of what music collaboration looks like and you know and so in that ways I'll, I'll think about that a lot and then um redemption song towards the end of the movie as he's sitting around the fire and his family's mm-hmm. kind of slowly comes out to sit with him that was actually i think a pretty powerful scene but on the whole the movie was perfectly fine well made but you know i guess if if you do have a connection to bob marley in a more personal way and that his music meant something to you, this probably would ring true for you. So let me just preface my criticisms with, if you have a genuine connection with Bob Marley, then this movie probably will be more meaningful to you than perhaps it was to me. But nonetheless, I think mostly the buzz has been about this and I would agree that like, yeah, it's perfectly fine, but very music biopicy. What did you take away from it? Yeah, pretty much the same thing. I mean, what I appreciated about it was it was very well made. Uh, We were even remarking upon that while we were watching it. Um, how well made it was, and uh, uh, but yeah, it's just—I mean, it's just a movie, like you know. And uh, I think that it works a lot to talk about the process of the message more than what the message is, you know. And it's kind of oh, like what, he, what is political, right? And yeah, so it's yeah. like, okay, yeah, I, I, I get that, but I'm kind of want to know who. Yeah, it's weird to say I want to know who he is, but it doesn't really feel like the movie really tells me that exactly. I mean. It feels like, and this isn't towards Ben Adir at all because he does a good enough job, but yeah, like it feels like one. it's a cardboard cutout of a performance, like yeah. a standee. It's like, this is Bob Marley. I'm like, but I don't really know who Bob Marley is. Like, I mean, yeah, I've heard his music, 
But is there well, something like said, below it, this, it or feels is this like just what it is? Very like, much like sanding away, like right. what the specifics and the context of what was going on in Jamaica was, and it was like there's a war going on. Like, like people don't like each other, yeah. and like I don't. I like want that. people. I want yeah. people to like each it's other. Like, it's like, that's it. Yeah. That's your message. Like, I mean, and you know, it had to be right. more meaningful oh, yeah. than that. And, and it but, was, and and I'm and I feel like the movie does a good enough job of trying to ask the question. Well, it kind of does. It's like it asks the question of. How can a man preach peace when his own life is so chaotic? You know, his inner life of like him and his wife, and he's not really a father to his children. Yeah. And like, I want to, obviously, that's the obvious stuff, but it's like, why did we not see more of that? And why do we not interrogate I that did more? You know, kind of like, like how the movie like went back in time and was non linear in some right. places. I did appreciate that and think that honestly, was the movie needed to be longer. Yeah. Then it, more than anything, and it needed just more. Wait, what was it? Was it like just, it was like an hour and forty minutes? I yeah. Like yeah, I mean, an hour and forty four yeah. minutes. Which I'm all for a shorter movie these days in its own way, but like they spent so much time on a lot of the music that I'm like, yeah, but what about this thing or that thing that's like. Oh, yeah, but anyway, whatever. It's like, oh, it introduces it, but then it's like, yeah, but anyway, you want to see well, how he made the song. to contradict what like, I just said, maybe, uh, maybe the if you were really a big Marley fan, you might have you might object to that. The, the fact that, well, it's not actually talking about what he was really about, and it's yeah. sanding away the hard edges, and it's sanding away the specifics. And so, again, maybe to contradict what I said myself, maybe actually a Marley fan would not, would be like turned off or think, oh, this is the Hollywood version where they're just gonna they're gonna cut out what yeah. it was really about, which, you know, I would imagine extrapolating what he was saying in this movie that he was probably a critic of colonialism and neo colonialism yeah. and that's, that's something that yeah. obviously somebody would say, Well of course Hollywood's gonna sand that away. Well that's and not what be I like so much about the concert scenes just from that perspective of his singing style was like a weird combination of like in his lyrics of like this sounds weird to say all these things together but like Bob Dylan hip hop and like punk rock of like yeah he's got all these messages and he's gonna say them real fast and it's almost like the band's there to just kind of put that there but really it's about the lyrics in its own way and like I was thrilled by that as a style of music to say it's kind of all those things put together that I said it's like the 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 poetry of Dylan but maybe the timber of hip hop, but then the uh, the like directness of punk rock of saying this thing and like you know and the and kind of the rhythm of that I really liked to make me think oh I would like to go and actually listen to this music because I actually yeah. really like that yeah um and so I liked that in the sense of I felt like there was a message coming through there yeah but that was all there was it didn't really interrogate that so like that's why I kind of like that stuff the most because I was kind of getting that from that. Mm-hmm. But not at the same time. So, yeah. I think I can agree that for us, the best part of the movie was that one elder. He's like yeah. the actor. I don't remember his character's name, but he like had one of the funniest like voices ever. Yeah, and he had uh, his uh, dreads were really long and like wrapped around him, and yeah, it was yeah, the character was funny. Uh, yeah, but so again, it was perfectly fine. Again, it feels like what we said earlier, just like cut and paste music biopic. Oh, but let's do it about Bob Marley. And in that way, again, if you're into Marley, then you might take objection to that to say, oh, well, no, this should be about something more meaningful than right. what was depicted here. Um, anything else about that? 
We good? No. Uh, like I said, it honestly is more of a an entryway for me to th- more think about him and reggae music in general, which I said is not going to be a big thing I'm into, but I'm like, oh, that's something I've never really listened to, so You're right. why not? Yeah. But yeah. Another movie we saw recently, Lisa Frankenstein. Before which, we get to that, actually, yeah. hang on. I was wondering... I wonder when we're finally going to get the big Grateful Dead movie. Oh, that's like, coming, yeah. Because I know that, that there's been documentaries made about that, and I know there was that one that Scorsese kind of helped produce. Does that even come out it, yet? I think it did a, a couple years ago. Oh, okay. Um, I feel uh, like I heard about it, and then yeah, it kind of just came out. Came and went. And, yeah, and then there was that movie about the band that everybody was kind of like, eh, whatever, you know, as, as far as the band, the band, yeah. you know. Uh, but yeah, I do wonder when the Grateful Dead movie is going to happen because I feel like it's weird though. It's going to be that, like a pot, pot. Yeah, day, I don't mean head day. It's gonna, it has luck, to be on pot day. Yeah, it has to be on right. April twentieth. Yeah, release. And that's the thing. And I don't mean to say this even against Grateful Dead fans or even my own liking of them. Relatively, I don't know. There's a whole lot there. Right. I don't know the history of Grateful Dead enough, but I'm thinking, yeah, they kind of just jammed and made music, and that's kind of all that ever happened. So, yeah, yeah it's like whatever. <laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't see enough on the bone there to make a movie, you know. Right. Anyway, anyway, Lisa Frankenstein. So, uh, this is the very first film feature length uh, directorial debut of uh, Zelda Williams is her name, written by Diablo Cody, who's a big. Yeah. I feel like she's not as big a deal as she used to be, and what I mean by that is. She, there was a time in the 2000s where she was seen as the hot new young talents in Hollywood, mm-hmm. um, especially with Juno. But uh, I knew she directed something big like that. Well, I, or, she wrote, wrote it. it. I'm yeah. sorry is what I meant. She's yeah. directed I some knew things. she had uh, Really, we work with Jason Reitman because she also wrote, um, oh, God, that one. Totally. Char- that Charlize Theron movie? Yeah, was totally. that? Yeah, yeah, that was the name of it, yeah. Um, so she's back with this. And apparently she said that this is in the same fictional universe as Jennifer's Body, which is another movie that she did. I have heard did. of that, yeah. No, that's kind of got a mixed... Some people like it, some people don't. I've not seen I've it. i mostly heard people say good things about that, but... yeah. Uh, follows a misunderstood teenage goth girl who reanimates a Victorian-era corpse and works to make him the man of her dreams. I don't think I knew this movie was set in the 80s. I thought it was just yeah. going for an 80s vibe and an 80s look. Right. I didn't know it was literally set in the 80s. Um... And not that I don't think that's we can talk about. It. I don't think that necessarily works to the movie's benefit or to its detriment. Right. It's just it, I feel like it could have been made today and it would have been yeah. all that different. I mean, social media would have been a part of the whole thing yeah. uh, in a way right. that's not here. But um, Catherine Newton was the female lead in it. Uh, Cole Sprouse, who's of course Sweet Life of Zach and Cody fame, yeah. also Riverdale heads know him. Um, I don't know if I've got a whole, whole lot to say about this movie other than I liked it. It was fun. It was good. Yeah. It was colorful. Uh, I felt like I liked this movie when it reveled more in the craziness and the absurdity yeah. of what was going on because it doesn't really give any kind of meaningful scientific or even fantasy explanation yeah. for how this is going on, which I'm totally fine with for this movie um, because it plays fast and loose and it's it's primarily a comedy anyway. So, right. um you know, I wasn't expecting it to be a quote uh, realistic. Um, it did feel like a movie that would play as the greatest thing ever for a certain generation of Tumblr user. Yeah. 
um, because it feels like that kind of the movie that was made for the Tumblr generation. Uh, just for like, oh, all these moments, and I'm going to share this gif and these photos, right. and oh my god, this is this movie's my whole new personality. Like, I just know GW Paps fans, certain yeah. right. <laughs> certain people. Oh, yeah. Forgot about that. Yeah, certain people that would really be into this in a meaningful way. And again, uh, the good thing was similar to Bob Marley, One Love. It was fairly short. Yeah, 101 minutes. Uh, what did you take away from Lisa Frankenstein? I don't want to go too overboard about this, but I kind of low-key totally love this movie in a lot of ways. Yeah. And I'll explain why. Because, and here's it all comes down to this very simple fact, is that we went into this saying, oh, this is kind of like Heather's now, yeah, right. right? Yeah. But then the movie actually really felt like that in an era where it won't even make a dent in the way that Heathers did yeah, in it right. because Heathers was so like what well that was also when teenagers and, went to the movies right and it was such a big deal when it came out and still is really like transgressive in its own you know it ain't like a David Lynch movie but it's no, like right. it's pretty but transgressive but for a mainstream movie, movie yeah, it is especially for the Brat Pack era of movie uh, it's like wow this really got made and it, this movie really, to me, did feel like there are moments that are like, wow, the tone is really doing this right now. Like, you're really being this morbid. Like, and, certain and, things uh, and, about Well, that, also that know. it's inherently about a pretty morbid yeah. premise. I right. mean, it's like, and when you and, stop and actually think about yeah. what's going on, it's pretty and that, transgressive so to use that word. Like in that said. way, it's not anything that new. But what I love about it is that it had the courage to be that morose and kind of morbid and disgusting and that funny about it. That it was brave enough to be like, yeah, we're going to do this. And nobody was really watching. Yeah. And it's a movie. We were literally the only people in the theater the whole yeah, time. right. And so this movie, I'm not saying it's going to be some big cult movie exactly, yeah. but it has the potential to someday people look back and go, what about Lisa Frankenstein? Nobody ever really talked about that. And like, yeah. you know, so sure. I'm just saying buy the stock now because I feel like that this yeah. is going to be a big thing eventually. Um, and the, I just appreciated that, like I said, that it was a movie that was willing to have that weird sense of humor. And, and So you know. Zelda Williams is the daughter of Robin Williams. What? Yeah. Really? She's the daughter of actor and comedian Robin Williams. Wow. Okay. I well, just now found that out. I read that. Well, this is my favorite thing to come of the Williams family abode. No. And I had I, now this is making sense because I had heard years ago that he's like, Rob, Robin Williams was actually into gaming and yeah. he named her after Zelda and the, and the yeah, Legend of Zelda right. games. Yeah. And so, yeah. But, so yeah, like I give you an example in the movie of what I'm talking about. Like there's the scene where... They lit well. Some of this is gonna be spoilers, so if you haven't seen the movie and want to, I wouldn't listen to this stuff. But the main character kills her stepmother. Well, not exactly. Actually, it's the dead guy kills the stepmother. Did we explain what this movie's about? Did you explain yeah. that? Well, okay. So it's like so the, the moody teenage yeah. girl who falls in love with a, a reanimated Victorian era right. corpse. Yeah. yeah. So that the corpse kills the mother. And they have to dispose. Which of the I was body. like shocked by that that happened yeah. when it did. Right. I mean, it's it makes early sense. In the movie. It makes right. sense when you see the architecture of the movie after yeah. the fact. But at the time, I was like, oh right. wow. Okay. And and so then there's a scene where later on, where the body's gone and they're up in her bedroom, and they basically kind of have an early sex scene. Yeah. Of her with her vibrator and like, <laughs> but then like, but then her father and stepsister. 
are the, like her, her father, by the way, is played by the the limp wristed dad in uh, Stranger Things, who's like hilarious. He literally, yeah. Uh, he, yeah, he actually has a little bit more to do in this than right. he does in that. Yeah, but. well, he's well, he's in that enough in the sense of yeah. that show's a long form show, and he's in it. But yeah, in in uh, percentage wise, yeah. yeah. But that they're like literally on the phone trying to figure out where she's at. Yeah. And they're like, oh my God, what happened? And then she's like having an orgasm yeah. while that's it's going on. And it's like, corpse. and like I said, I was watching that scene like, wow, they're really doing this. Like, you know, yeah. and respecting that because I'm not saying that in a negative way, but like I could see other people being like, oh my God, this is just so distasteful, whatever. Yeah. But well, there's no one other than me and you that would even object to that experience in the right. movie theater. Yeah, so. so that's what I'm saying. It's like that's the point. Is like it's batting crazy numbers in terms of that, and then nobody's even watching it. And it's like it's just very strange. This will probably like, be a random movie that like uh, certain cool teenagers will see, after, yeah. you know, on TV, and they're they're gonna have those moments where a parent walks in and sees what's going on. They're like, what are you watching? Yeah, and like right. flipping out, and there's gonna but be those yeah, moments. That's that what I'm saying, though. It's just a real shame that this movie didn't even get a little more exposure because I'm not saying that it's like the greatest thing ever or nothing. I'm just saying it's like I was very impressed by it yeah. in the sense of what it actually wanted and did do. Yeah. Um, and was pretty much what because I saw the trailer and I was like, it immediately kind of like, made an impression that something's like, a little different, right? And, yeah. And it was that in a lot of ways. It wasn't in others, but I felt, like I said, I did appreciate that I went into the movie thinking, oh, this is like another version of Heather's, but actually kind of was that in terms of the sensibility, although it wasn't rated R, and that movie is rated yeah. R, and so, I mean, famous quotes that can't be said in a PG-13 movie, but yeah, uh, but that, uh, yeah, I was just very impressed by that in its own way that I was kind of shocked how good it at. I mean, I figured it'd be good, but like, you know. I mean, there well, there's just hadn't been a lot of buzz about it. Right. I mean, really, yeah. we went by the trailer. We were like, yeah. oh, okay, that looks all right. Let's yeah. go try that out. That's how movies used to work. Um, you know, where you're like, oh, okay, I'll try that out. Yeah. Uh, and, this movie was made for thirteen million dollars, which is very low mm-hmm. end uh, as far as not. Right. That's How not a big it risk. It's made eight point eight million. I even would have thought it made more than that. But yeah, it says it re- received mixed reviews from critics. I, I'm just fascinated by that because I feel like this is a a cult movie in the making in its own way. Like you know, uh, looking really quickly at what some of the blurbs critics have said, a lot of them are saying that it's kind of derivative. Yeah. Uh, Neither scary nor funny, Owen Gleiberman said. Uh, Which is funny because I thought the movie was pretty hilarious. Uh, I thought so too. I I think it was. Calling it, quote, a horror calm smoothie made mostly of ancient moldy fruit. I think there is a truth. There's a certain kernel of truth to that. Although I think it's still selling it short what it is. I mean, it's very much a pastiche Uh, 80s. I mean, it's. IndieWire's David Ehrlich gave the film a grading of a C. Which I would say I would give it like a C plus give it or B minus around that it, range. But. Commended the performance of Newton and Sprouse, but lamenting that quote scenes have no shape to them. The world feels half built. I don't agree with that. And the reality that supposedly holds them together is too erratic for Williams to establish any kind of emotional baseline. I That's kind of what I like about. Well, it, I, I was going to say I think the tone, yeah. it like you said earlier, is like kind of chaotic and you're not exactly sure whether you're supposed to laugh or be horrified which i love anytime a movie takes me to that end of the pool um 
So, again, yeah, I mean, it's not breaking any new ground, but not every movie always has to break new ground. I mean, it's in a... This is a thing that I feel like we've talked about with other movies in the past. Uh, it's in a tradition of movie, like you said, with Heathers and like of... Um, even to an extent, maybe something like Beetlejuice in terms of just like a horror comedy kind of thing. Yeah. Um, that doesn't necessarily break new ground, but I do feel like the relationship to the extent that it exists between the two leads is like something that I feel invested in. Yeah. And I care about and want to see. And then also just the like, the head scratch and how's this all going to resolve right. itself of the whole thing. Or even the fact that the, with, the, the well, lead... Plenty, and also with some pretty shocking moments yeah. throughout. Well, and that the lead is straight up evil. I mean, she oh, is right, an yeah. evil person. Yeah, because like, early so, on, yeah. you know, I felt sympathy for her. Right. But then, I don't know when it was. I'd have to rewatch it to pinpoint it. And it's a slow progression. But there is a moment where you're like, I'm not I think it's. I think there's you. a minor switch after the mother's death that you start to, and you already kind of like the stepsister yes, anyway, yes. but there's very much this, oh, she's clearly a... Because at the beginning, it's like, oh, she's this shrill, popular person who kind of probably looks down on her weird stepsister. Yeah. But then it becomes, oh, she's actually very innocent, and this person's like a cold-blooded murderer. And it's right. like... So that, I think, was an effective change. Yeah. Yeah. And, and so... I said all this ain't new, but it it, it I kind of dug the whole thing. Yeah. It was just very, it was just a lot of fun to watch. I, I mean, and so in that way, uh, I think that I said just the fact that it was like even that scene where he literally goes in and cuts that guy's genitals off, and it flies through there, yeah. and there's the shadow of it flying into the like <laughs> trash can, and there's music playing, and it's like. I know that that moment... Also, a decent little soundtrack, I thought, too. Yep, it yeah. was. And I know that moment's treating itself like it's that big moment in a movie. Yeah. That's like, oh, yeah, this is the cool moment where we take this real violent thing and put it with this, like, pop song and, and it's in mode. slow motion. And it's like, but it actually is worthy of that in its own way. And but and also, our favorite moment in the whole movie, I think, was where he was walking down the street with, like, a hat on and was trying to get in a car. And this random old guy oh. is just, like, with his, li- with his like, grandson standing there. And the guy says, oh, hell no, nah, what the hell? Yeah. Like, he literally says that. He like, just drops what he was talking about right. the other kid and he's like, I'm going to go yeah, He's, like, this. yelling at the kid about something. And he's like, oh, wait a minute. Because he's, he's, freak, he's like? basically being presented as, oh, these kids today dress all weird right. and act all weird and well. He's... Yeah. Well, what's yeah. even funnier about that is it's like that corpse's version of let me put on all these things that are like in her closet and it looks right, even right. dumber yeah. than what it actually even would be I think because too, the, he's like not matching them together correctly. It has, but. I think, a pretty funny recurring joke of like him getting in the tannin bed over and over again and he looks a little bit more and then Human, it's funny by the end quotes. of the movie he is just like back to normal which is weird. Right. But, yeah. Yeah. And then like so like He's missing certain body parts, and so there's like various parts of other people's bodies that he's literally like putting on right. his own, and then gets in the tannin bed, and it magically connects him. And also, like the last scene with the tannin bed, yeah, <laughs> it's just like how it's taken. <laughs> like, like, yeah, and it's like it catches like, the whole building. There's on like fire. she's yeah. it's like full I don't bronze too or much about it, but it's like. Yeah. There's like the last level, and it's like, why would that even be made if it's that's like, going to yeah, kill somebody? Yeah, and it somebody? would literally blow everything up. Like, yeah, yeah. I don't know. But I think but. I think knowing too, and I'm not saying we need to like treat her with kid gloves, but like this being her first movie and it being this pretty good, I yeah. think is a good sign 
for her in the it future. It feels like a version of like what Emerald Fennell would make, but actually good. Yeah. Like it reminds me a lot of like Promising Young Woman, which has really fell off the deep end of my thoughts on that movie. You're very like, mm, no, that was just Honestly, kind of a... Honestly, I've just more like, than anything forgotten I have too, like, yeah. but it's specifically when Saltburn came out, which I never did actually see. Yeah. I was thinking a lot about that yeah. movie again, and I was like, yeah, that movie was kind of low-key boy yeah. actually. Like, it just really... I think it like, had a, had a certain like, novelty about it when it came out that yeah. probably me and you and some others were like, gave it a little bit of slack for right. but but so this really is enduring. a version of that that is more like uh engaging in the sense that it doesn't think too much of itself like that does because that movie has this whole like you know socio-political aspect to it and like is like oh this is this is some real movie whereas this is like lisa frankenstein you <laughs> yeah. know but don't you think that this movie if it were made by a24 would automatically yeah. get this well, it amount would, of cash. It would be marketed. Like, right. Period. I don't yeah. even know what's happening with this, anyways. Like it's a focus movie. I think it was. Right. And it's not and, really. Been and not marketed. that I don't really love these movies, actually, or quite like them, but like it would be like a Zola or a Bodies, Bodies, Bodies. People talking about those, which I mean, those have kind of fallen off of people talking about those too. But like, I was talking just like the other day how movies, much I actually but, really like Zola, and I've yeah. been thinking about specifically Coleman Domingo in that movie after <laughs> we watched. Uh, if Bill Street could talk and he popped up back One of my that. favorite moments in any movie in the last so many years is when they're running out of that hotel real early in the morning and it's just light out and the camera just stops on this little person laying on like a like a pool uh, like a uh, chair yeah. like you know next to the pool and they just and they're in like a tuxedo you remember what i'm talking about and it's and he's just like mm, yeah or something that's like lit, literally what like it's like just makes no sense like I think about no, that moment no, a lot. That's like, true, though, what yeah. you said about A24. I didn't think yeah. about that. I feel like that would have a certain cachet built into it that, like, that this, by virtue of just being yeah. kind of what it is, right. didn't get. Now, uh, and like I said, I don't think this movie is even quite as good as those other movies I just talked about, like even Bodies, 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 which I liked a yeah, lot. I like, yeah. Uh, that. Is this movie that different, really, from the sensibility right. of those? Except it is inherently a little funnier. Yeah, I think like genuine comedy, not like this ironic comedy like Zola or something. You know, it doesn't quite right. have the cinematic slickness that those movies no, have, and I'd no. say that's to its betterment. Yeah, it's like because that's just the, the 80s there's a whole A twenty four stylistic thing yeah. sometimes that happens. Well, this with movie those feels movies. different enough, I think, in that way of because yeah. it doesn't feel exactly like Stranger Things, but it doesn't feel like uh, well, again, it's a also, Gus Van Zant movie yeah, either. Though it, you know, it's like, also a Diablo Cody product, right. and she's a, this established brand that this very much fits into what I've seen from her. Yeah, um, because she writes dialogue pretty well um, in a way though that has this signature. It's not the same as Tarantino, but you just know who wrote this movie because of the the way characters talk. Right. Um, but it's not a bunch of ooh you ghoul like uh, right, in right. Riverdale or something. It's yeah, like right. actual dialogue, you know. But the way like, you ghoul, yeah. like like <laughs> oh no hell no what the hell like, you know <laughs> the honesty of that I just really was behind you know and um, this movie I don't know like the, it's like you know the ending of it, it's like it almost treats it like a nice happy little ending yeah, it's like, it's this like, is pretty effed up yeah. like, <laughs> <laughs> well it's kind of yeah. like what we said about uh, Poor Things yeah, yeah it's like thing. 
the family's all together. It's like there's literally a man with a dog's brain in his head and <laughs> as a pet. Like, like yeah. But no, I, uh, I don't think I quite like this movie as much as you. But yeah, I think yeah. you're right that this will be, I think, a cult movie for the future. Yeah. Uh, so much so that future generations might even mistake it as a movie that was made in the '80s as opposed to just being set in the yeah. '80s. Yeah, and and will be to the people that. We're there like watching said, the movie. We bought, we bought the, yeah. we bought the song. So I'm early. just saying it's going to happen inevitably. I think, and I'm kind of shocked it hasn't already been happened. It probably is in a small way, but where people are like, "Hey, what about this?" Like, yeah, you know. But it's that time of year where nobody goes to the movies I, I, anyway. I but. didn't say this to you. The last thing we'll yeah. maybe say about this, I got really hung up on a detail about this movie that I was thinking about like the rest of the time about Carla Gugino, Gugino, yeah, you know, so yeah. the the stepmom. She says something about her dad dying, and I think she said Vietnam. She made some reference to yes, yeah. And I was started to go back and do the age on. I that, was thinking that and too. I was yeah. like, wait, how old were you? How old? Was yes, that? She, I was randomly. No, I actually about, was like, thinking that, and I didn't think any more about it. But I was like, because she's yeah. like what in her fifties, probably. Yeah, and like you go back twenty years from eighty nine like when 30s. this is set, she would have been yeah. in her thirties, and he would have been in. I was just doing the math yeah. on that. And I was like, she probably well, just made that up. Well, yeah, yeah, I don't know. That's that. That's the funny thing. Even is that maybe she literally made that up. I don't know. But I don't know. That's a very, very minor thing that I or what even could be thought about like, the rest of the movie. If it's doing an inside the baseball thing in the movie where actually she said because she said something denying, I think. Yeah, what that's said. what she said. Yeah, and I. But maybe she was saying that, but actually she was referring to Korea, but she got the names yeah. wrong, and that's an inherent joke that's being made. I don't know, like, but yeah, that is uh, that's not a problem. That though, is something movie, I thought but... about. I think it makes it even funnier, yeah. actually, but. Um, yeah, or or yeah. you like you said, she might just be BSing. Anyway. She should literally be lying, for all I know. Yeah, yeah. But uh, but yeah, the fact that GW Pabst, by the way, too, oh it's yeah, like, yeah. Okay, like so Lisa yeah. Frankenstein, check it out while it's out, um, because I don't know how long it's gonna be around. So it'll be hitting the VOD soon, probably. Speaking of dead, let's talk about Toby <laughs> Keith. Sorry, all right, that was Toby just too Keith. funny. Uh. He died recently, you know. I I don't. I think I knew he was sick with cancer, but I don't. I think had, I but knew I forgot to the about it. That it was yeah. bad. Um, me and you haven't even had a full on conversation about this. Um, even though we've Toby time, we haven't had a Toby time. Toby time. Sorry, I don't mean to make uh, jokes, but but um, this struck me in a really weird way because uh, again, he was he was sixty two, which was a little older than I thought he was. Uh, yeah, he, he his career was always older than I had remembered. I think anyway. he got into music a little later, or yeah. he, or as far as when he blew up was a little later. Yeah, than, he kind of I think in the late to mid to late nineties, and then as far as his big period for me was when I was growing up. But yeah, uh, this hit me 2000s. in a really weird way because I think his legacy is now going to be wrapped up in you know courtesy of the red, white, and blue. 2000s war on the terror culture stuff. all that yeah. much of which i frankly object to and am not a big fan of as a uh, liberal yeah. progressive minded yeah. person mm-hmm. but man he's got some great songs he's got some great country songs in the yeah. middle of all that too uh it's not a song that we've played a lot but i've listened to a lot in the last few years should have been a cowboy I think is as pure a country song as exists. Period. I've heard that song, but I don't remember um, it off the top of my just head. Just a really high quality yeah. country song. You mentioned it earlier. How do you like me now? Is I've never really done karaoke before, but in my back pocket, I can hit every word 
of that song. My favorite song of his is Ain't As Good As I Once Was. That one's another good of, one. Yeah, people would say. But. Uh, whiskey for my men, beer for my horses. Like. I mean, I could sing that one, too. I sing that all the time at the kids sometimes. I just look at them and say, TV man, come on, 6 yeah. o'clock news. Somebody's been shot. Somebody's been abused. Somebody blew up a building. Somebody stole a car. Somebody he got away. Somebody, somebody didn't, didn't get, get too far. far. Which yeah. I always imagine is that. He didn't yeah. get too far. Is that moment in, and then Willie Nelson starts That was my that. whole introduction to Willie Nelson in yeah. any way was, oh, that's the guy that sings with Coke Toby <laughs> yeah. I know people would be like, are you serious? Yeah. Which that reminds um, me of something I want to say here in a little okay. bit about them too. But, uh, yeah, that. Oh. It involves Chris Christopherson. <laughs> I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. That, we'll get to that. Yeah. But with that song, though, um, or what was I going to say about that? Is that uh, every time I hear they didn't get too far, I imagine that part in uh, Ocean's Eleven where the guy's running out of the casino oh. still, and he gets shot from <laughs> the back, and all the money up, goes yeah. up. Yeah. Uh, and then one of my favorite parts in that song is it's kind of almost like a like the volume goes up on it. It's like take the long arm of the law, yeah. put a few more in the ground. Yeah. Like, you know, it just kills me. But yeah, Toby Keith like. When we so say what, all what, this, what you, like, what, how, well, what's your that's what I was going to say is like, what, what matters about this to us, I guess, where it probably didn't do a lot of other people, you know. Who are older, maybe. Oh, right. Or lived in somewhere uh, in the South in the 2000s. Yeah, it's just that when I was a kid, that album, Unchained, yeah. uh, was like my life, literally. Yeah. Like, when I think of when I was a kid, that's just the background that of our was childhood. the songs, yeah. you know, I mean, the CD. And like... Obviously, I don't agree at all with a lot of the jingoism that is inherent to uh, Cursey of the Red, White, and Blue, the Angry American. Like, But when I hear that song, like div- I know it sounds bad to say it this way, but divorcing itself yeah, right. from all oh, the yeah. context of that song, I feel like that's when I was most happiest in the world. Not that I'm a depressed, no, I know, I person mean, now, yeah. but like, that just, was my childhood. childhood yeah. And like that song was... So, and that was the first time I ever heard a bad word in a song. Yeah. Like, you know, like, that song was just so massive at the time, too. I mean, it was just a big deal. And, like, and and so that just meant a lot to me in a way that I knew deep down. But when I heard he died, it was just like this, like, release of this feeling in me that I had almost forgotten about, you know. Yeah. Um. And so in that way... And even still, like I said, just actually genuinely really good songs that he's written. And I want to talk about me. I like too. It was funny. Um, yeah. But y'all, that's just I to like say it. I talking about a- you, 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 usually. But occasionally. Yeah. And I imagine his face doing a certain <laughs> right, thing. When yeah. I, yeah. And I mean, literally, we say all the time, said, I said, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> it's just like. Well, I love that. Uh, the, the Dave voice actor in that song is like. Uh, is that you hear oh, like a voice yeah, of somebody right. wanting help in oh, that yeah. song? Like it's like a little, <laughs> yeah, it's like I a little vocal that. performance. Like yeah, it was like uh, he's asking for help while he's getting ready to right. get in a fight, basically. Yeah, but the uh, yeah, it's just one of those things. That it's a certain very specific time in my life where that meant a lot to me, and so it's it's sad to hear that he passed away, and obviously that. His like I said, his whole thing with the Iraq War is very complicated. But he's like, I never supported that. It's well, like, one of my favorite well, can you quotes really about say that, anything though? ever yeah. is uh, never did. Like yeah. it's just, <laughs> as it says on Wikipedia, anyway. Right, but, but it's like 
and I know what he means when he says, but I always supported the troops. It's like, but you've got to, but be, how can you like yeah. do that? At and the same time as, and divorce what, yourself from what that war was and meant, and then claim later that you yeah. didn't support that. This is a little but then also say that oh, I support I support Obama, but then also support Trump. It's like, what kind of person are you ultimately? I don't really understand you. Like, so yeah. Anyway, that's all to just say he was a very complicated figure. Who also, I think the, I think genuinely produced some great country songs. Yeah. I don't think that should get lost in the midst of everything else that's being said yeah, about him. Yeah, Red right. Solo Cup, you know, that's not one that, that we really listened that, as much uh, to. It's uh, not going to be one of the finally remembered uh, things, <laughs> I don't think. Uh, but, yeah. So, uh, there's a famous, I think, profile of Willie Nelson yeah. that was written by Rolling Stone magazine. Right. Uh, written by Ethan Hawke. So... Ethan Hawke is at the periphery of this whole story. Right. Just remember that, that I'm about to read some portions of. Um, so it calls, it never says Basically, Toby if Keith you look by anywhere, name. Ethan Hawke's randomly going to show up. Like, yeah. He's everywhere all the time. Uh, but it refers to him in this as the star, but everybody's yeah. figured out that this is who it is. This is at a birthday party for... Willie Nelson and about an interaction between Willie Nelson, Chris Christopherson, and Toby Keith. Right. Up from the basement came one of country's music's biggest stars who shall remain nameless. At that moment in time, the star had a monster radio hit about bombing America's enemies back into the Stone Age. Happy birthday, the star said to Willie, breezing by us as he passed Christopherson in one long, confident stride out of the corner of his mouth came none of that lefty S out here tonight, Chris. What the F did you just say to me? Chris growled, stepping forward. Oh, no, groaned Willie under his breath. Don't get Chris all riled up. You heard me, the star said, walking away into the darkness. Don't turn your back on me, boy, Christofferson shouted. I can just hear him saying this. Don't turn your back on me, boy. Based on his long yeah. star performance. Right. Not giving an S that basically the entire music industry seemed to be flanking him. The star turned around. I don't want any problems, Chris. I just want you to tone it down. You ever worn your country's uniform, Chris asked rhetorically. What? Don't what me, boy. You heard the question. You just don't <laughs> like the answer. <laughs> that's, that's all right. I'm using yeah, that this yeah. week. Yeah. <laughs> you heard the question. You just don't like the answer. He paused just long enough to give a full chest of air. I said, have you ever served your country? The answer is no, you have not. Have you ever killed another man, huh? Have you ever... Uh, taking another man's life and then cash the check your country gave you for doing it? No, you have not. So shut the F up. I could feel the his body pulsing with anger next to me. You don't know what the hell you're talking about. Whatever, the young star <laughs> You say this is Ethan Hawke standing there and all this is going on? Yeah. That's the funniest wait, part. Wait, we got another there. cameo. I know. Ray yeah. Charles stood motionless. <laughs> <laughs> Willie Nelson looked at me and shrugged mischievously like a kid in the back of the classroom. Ray Charles yeah. stood motionless. And then I love that. He's, Willie Nelson stood and shrugged mischievously like a kid in the back of the classroom. Christopherson took a deep inhale and leaned against the wall, still vibrating with adrenaline. He looked over at Willie as if to say, don't say a word. Then his eyes found me. You know what Waylon Jennings said about guys like him? He whispered. I shook my head. They're doing to country music what pantyhose did to finger effing. <laughs> so, yeah. So I know when he died, there's a lot of people on Twitter that shared that story again. Yeah. It was like a dunk on him, and you know, yeah, I mean, he shouldn't yeah, have said what he said, no, obviously. But, but 
you yeah, know. That's hilarious. But that. Ray Charles stood motionless. Yeah. <laughs> you heard the question. You just don't like the answer. I'm using that this week. Literally, when a kid, I say, what are you doing? They're like, huh? <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. Uh, speaking of music, jazz, right? I wonder what Spike Lee would think about the fact that we're transitioning to getting ready to talk about one of his movies with after talking me, about Toby Keith. Let me give you a let me give you a British answer. It's not my cup of tea. <laughs> not my cup of tea. Yeah, but anyway, he said all that about Green Book. I think it was, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. Here is the trailer. Are you British? Are you British? <laughs> For Mo Better Blues. I want a man who knows what he wants. I know what I want. My music, everything else is secondary. What you and I do is not make love. <laughs> what would you call it, Dan? It's definitely not making love. Have you ever heard of the Mo Better? Mo what? Mo Better makes it Mo Better. What about Delvis? I like her too. I like women. When you say it was a million in one shot, they wear the same dress and the same day and see each other. Like it or not, you're a dog. You're a good doggy, but you're a dog nonetheless. Get off! What? What did you call me? Bleak, how in the hell can you call me by her name? Boy, they got all kind of people in this club tonight. Look at that little ugly guy at the bar. Hey, fella! <laughs> Trying to sneak in here in the color section. I see you. He's a horrible manager. Everybody can see that but you. The midget should go bleak. You know my name is Giant. Every night we go over this. Look, Giant is my friend. Giant? I mean, that's a joke. Is that a joke? It's a joke. We could manage a little league thing. Minor league. You keep coming up short. No, 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 no. It's because she's white. Is she white? Because she's white. Yes. Oh. Yeah, she's a nun. Won't give me none. Ain't had none. <laughs> she, didn't, she didn't need none. Pirates are playing the Mets in a doubleheader. Give me the Pirates of both games and Mets need some more black ball players. What are you gambling again? How much you owe? Don't break him. Let's give him a break. Break his legs, his arms. People are listening. Everybody's deaf, People brother. Ain't nobody listening. People are you got listening voice. to my voice. My boy. You put them lips on the trumpet. Academy Award winner Denzel Washington in a new film from Spike Lee. We thank you for coming because you didn't have to come. You could have stayed home and uh, watched Arsenio Hall or something. <laughs> Mo Better Blues. So Mo Better Blues. Very much a I talk I think fast I talk fast kind of trailer you know. Yeah like, yeah. But uh, comes out in 1990. American musical comedy drama starring, of course, Denzel Washington, Wesley Snipes, and Spike Lee, who also wrote, produced, and directed. It follows a period in the life of a fictional jazz trumpeter uh, named Bleak Gilliam, who Washington plays, as a series of bad decisions result in his jeopardizing both his relationships and his playing career. The film focuses on themes of friendship, loyalty, honesty, cause and effect, and ultimately, salvation. 
I knew it was going to be either salvation or redemption, that last word. I was like, what's it going to be? It features the music of Branford Marsalis Quartet and Terrence Blanchard on trumpet. Uh, it was released five months after the death of Robin Harris and is dedicated to his memory being his final acting role. I'm not sure exactly. Oh, that's that comedian who was uh, Sweet Dead yeah. Willie in uh, yeah. uh, Do the Right Thing. So... Again, this this was. Let me just look real quick at all of Spike Lee's features, kind of in order here, because most notably, this was his first movie right after Do the Right Thing. So yeah, it was his fourth feature after She's Got to Have It, which I've seen and quite liked. School Days, I have yet to see. That's one I still haven't seen. Do the Right Thing is of course huge, and we've seen that several times Mm -hmm. and Mo Better Blues is the fourth one this is the only the second time I had seen this and just to like talk about the rest of his uh, 90s work I mean he's of course made movies into the present but his 90s work was especially uh, prevalent and prominent Jungle Fever was his next movie, which I've yet to see. That was in 1991. Yeah. Malcolm X. Can I say something about Jungle, yeah. Fe- Jungle Fever real quick? Yeah. Is that uh, I'm pretty sure about this, but I don't know for a fact. I'm laughing just thinking about it. That I remember one time we were flipping around TV. We had just, I think, gotten... It was a pretty new pretty new then, that TV that we got uh, downstairs, our first big TV. Oh, right, yeah. And that was when we first got all the, like, really good movie channels Premium and stuff. Premium channels, yeah. yeah. and, like, uh, all that. And, uh, and, uh, and so I remember us flipping across some... And I think it was that, but I'm not sure. Flipping across that. And being like, and there being a sex scene going on. Yeah. And all of our family being in the room. Yeah. And mom, and mom being like, what is that? Turn that right now. Yeah. <laughs> we were just flipping. We didn't know what it was. We were just flipping yeah. around. And like, I, th- I think it was from that movie, just based on some things I know about it. But I'm not totally sure. But yeah. that's just something, every time I think about that movie, I think about that. <laughs> but anyway. Malcolm X's movie, we're a huge fan oh, yeah. of in 92. Some other ones, again, from the 90s. Crooklyn, Clockers, Girl 6, Get on the Bus, He Got Game, Summer of Sam, and then in 2000, Bamboozled. Um, You know, since he's been a director in the late 80s, Spike Lee has been one of the most recognizable uh, filmmakers, I think not only because of his style, and his style's very signature, but even just in the media. He's, you know, the he. I don't know how many of those ads you saw that he did with Michael Jordan around this time period, but those were big back in the nineties, uh, late eighties, early nineties. Um, I think, yeah, he directed these Nike ads that Jordan was in that were pretty big, and he's like kind of playing himself in the ads too, yeah. and he directed them. So he again is one of the, and then he's in like Capital One ads with like. Samuel Jackson and Charles Barkley. So he's Those are always the famous because he's like leaning over like the seat in a lot yeah. of those, like talking, and it's like he's like he's the old grandma that's there or mm-hmm. something. Like it's real weird, but yeah. So he is one of the most recognizable filmmakers, literally physically, but also just his movies. Um, yeah. And this was part of the era where he was still kind of acting in some of his movies. He doesn't do that as often anymore. Um, but he's still somebody who's out and about in the media, and he's just like a much more, but very public face. Um, 
again, this was his first movie after Do the Right Thing, and it's between that and Malcolm X, what I think is his greatest work. Uh, I yeah. think I'm a little inclined to say Do the Right Thing because A, it was contemporary to that time, and B, it's it's an original film. And it's kind uh, of a more powerful movie to get what it's saying across in two hours, not that Malcolm X isn't great. But but, but the yeah. achievement of Malcolm X is incredibly high, and the pressure on him at that time, who was, you know, of course there were other black filmmakers, but to be the most prominent black filmmaker in American cinema, to take on that project, yeah. to execute it so well, that is in and of itself a grand achievement. And this and Jungle Fever too are kind of loosely in the middle of those, and I think this movie can easily be forgotten about. But I just think it's terrific. This was only the second time yeah. I'd seen it, and it really knocked me over again. And I'd mm-hmm. kind of forgotten how it ended. Um, I remember that. And but, yeah, because that's seeing that, really that play out again, it kind of was even more emotionally rev- resonant to me. Um, in general, for you, Levi, when you think of the cinema of Spike Lee, what comes to mind, and to in what way does Mo Better Blues fit into that? Well, you have to think, of course, about the black filmmaker as a sadly more recent um you know fact i mean before this the only person that really comes to mind in a big way is somebody like charles burnett who made movies that obviously are more art house aren't they're about the black experience but not in this like very overt explicit way what's kind of great about those is they're like you know independent movies of the time that are just black people in them it doesn't yeah, have to just make to a quickly talk about yeah. some other filmmakers before even he there was oscar michaud who mm-hmm. was a silent filmmaker right. pretty much oh yeah and then even like Sidney poitier of course yeah. the actor he had directed some things but again like you said um i feel like it just the landscape of cinema charles burnett obviously was somebody that cinephiles and critics identified as a really particularly great voice right. um but again and this was around the time, too, where directors were starting to become more recognizable anyways as figures in of themselves. Yeah. Because, you know, obviously you have, like, Alfred Hitchcock or Quentin Tarantino right around the corner from this. But, like, people who are themselves personalities uh, who are not necessarily primarily actors, you know, because yeah. uh, being an actor-director is another thing. But, so, yeah, Spike Lee in the late 80s, he was a you know a provocateur, and at that point, I think "Do the Right Thing" was his most explicitly political movie. This is not really expressly political; it's innately, but about and to some extent about blackness in America through the lens of jazz yeah, to an extent right. and professionalism and perfectionism. But it doesn't have that social heft that Do the Right Thing does or yeah. Malcolm X does. And maybe that, and even, or even Jungle Fever would seem to be right. about interracial yeah. relationships. So this one is like the jazz movie. And also, I didn't even really know this. I think I had heard that he had had, uh, his dad was involved in jazz music. Yeah. Um, but to talk about him just a little bit, uh, his name was, uh, I think he's passed away now. Uh, Bill Lee was his uh, name. William James Edward Lee the Third. He worked with Bob Dylan, Aretha Franklin, Duke Ellington, Billy Holiday, Harry Belafonte, Peter Paul and Mary, Simon and Garfunkel, Judy Collins, Arlo Guthrie, 
Woody Guthrie, Pete Seeger, among many others. And that's probably, honestly, how Spike Lee got his start, even being a filmmaker, was with his, kind of like what happened with Paul Thomas Anderson, where, mm-hmm. you know, that way in through show business, you know, and and him kind of maybe reflecting on that in this movie. But. He died just this past May at age yeah. 94. Um, he did some soundtracks also. I think I'd heard about that at the time, but... Yeah. Yeah. He was a music director on this. I think in later years, he and Lee had had a falling out, so I don't know mm. all the details of that. Um, I think he had had a drug problem, mm. uh, I believe. Um, which is common in jazz music, obviously. Um, yeah. Which this movie doesn't actually really uh, in any way address, which I find kind of interesting. Um, not a bad thing. You mean either. like drug use and yeah, the jazz? Yeah, yeah, drug and jazz. The jazz, drugs and culture in jazz like it's such a big thing you know i just was kind of surprised uh, that wasn't really a thing but um but anyway to go back to that like up until spike lee in a big way there i said were not these very mainstream uh versions of that i mean of course we also think about uh bill gunn directing ganja and hess before that um, which is like one of the biggest random horror movies mm-hmm. that people talk about. That's like an independent thing, and um, and honestly, Spike Lee interestingly rode in on this wave of not only independent cinema, but we were even talking about it yesterday. Aside from Spike Lee, the uh, uh, crime cinema of the '90s that included, you know, included the Hughes brothers, uh, mm-hmm. John Singleton, Carl Franklin, like that whole era of black filmmaker that was. A lot more dedicated to crime cinema, or I guess, or or even uh, uh, Melvin Van Peebles' son with New Jack City. Um, mm-hmm. What's his name again? Uh, his son's Mario name. Van Peebles. Mario Van Peebles. Um, Which Wesley Snipes yeah. is, I think, that was one of his bigger right. coming out parties as far as being a bigger star. Yeah, and so that's all just saying that um, with him, you didn't have the overtness of his I mean I'd say his movies are a lot about crime in a lot of ways and have action in them in the way I suppose that Martin Scorsese's films do and I mean he's compared to Scorsese a lot but I do see a lot of a similarities in their styles and yeah um but what's so great about Lee is that for him he he came at this and I really do see him as a Malcolm X-esque figure of a filmmaker of a person who makes statements that are true but very incendiary in their truth whereas now as a you know as kind of a difference not that this is a good thing or bad thing black filmmakers are often more um studied and formalist in what they do like barry jenkins with if bill street could talk or ava duvernay or um you know whoever and it's a lot more of these uh statement movies or like chronicles of civil rights or those sort it's a lot more i said formalist and direct in its uh messaging yeah whereas his are very angry kind of uh open-ended questions more than chronicles or answers to that which i think is what endears his movie so much and why there's such a powerful voice of black cinema is that it's willing to say ask the question, and then just let it sit there rather than kind of 
answering the question in its own way. You know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah, that a yeah. lot of filmmakers do now. Which, like I said, I think that's fine either way, but he's one of the few, especially of that era, that I feel was actually actively doing that. Um, like with Do the Right Thing, that movie has an incredibly open ending. Mm-hmm. It's very like, well, this is what happened. What do you think about that? Mm-hmm. And it's like... and. There's and it not ends with a resolution and Malcolm X quotes, and it's kind yeah. of putting them side by side and saying, "So what's right. the answer?" And uh, you know that's an ongoing question, an ongoing debate. And you could say the same thing about that with Malcolm X as well, as far as the idea that uh, of that film ending with Nelson Mandela being in it, and I think it kind of did it begin or end with the Rodney King stuff. The begins, the begins I think, right? Yeah. And so it's very much putting itself in. We live in an era where these questions are unanswered. Mm-hmm. What, what you know? And they all say, "I am Malcolm X," and "I am Malcolm X," and that sort of thing. And I think yeah, and that's that, lost that's on a probably genius, people now like, who see it later. And we obviously saw it later. Yeah. We didn't see it at the time, but of how like radical it would have been. And there were probably like people who would have like objected, obviously to the Rodney King beating and situation being inserted into um, the Malcolm X story. But again, uh, you know, for Lee, history is kind of a flat circle. It comes Mm -hmm. and goes and is used at will throughout his work. I mean, you know, even in the the, uh, documentary we saw, he did um, the... uh, we got the David Byrne documentary. Oh, uh, uh, stop making sense. Or no, I'm sorry, American Utopia. American Utopia. Yes. Um, how, and I, that might have very well been a part of David Byrne's show, anyways. But certainly Spike Lee's depiction of like where they mention and talk about the some recent people who had been murdered by police or had been you know people of color who had been killed yeah. by the police. That being in there, um, some of his most recent movies that have obviously made a. Uh, Dent, or, you know, Black Klansman was sort of a, I won't say a comeback movie, yeah. but one that reestablished him. I feel, again, he's been making movies well, for he had a made lot of like years. That, I feel like there was a definitive down period for him, though, around the time of, like, Old Boy remake, The Sweet Blood of Jesus. Yeah. And then Chirac was kind of a thing people talked about, but that was kind of a period that was a definitive kind of lost for him in certain ways as far as people not paying attention to his movies as much. And then Black Klansman was such a big deal. Um, and he won an Academy and, Award for that. Right. And then uh, Defy Bloods was uh, a few years after that. Mm-hmm. was made for Netflix. Which also like, brought in the Vietnam War and yeah. kind of had comments to say about that. Um, that's the last thing he's made, I guess. Yeah, Yeah, I don't know what Other is... Other than the American um, Utopia... Uh, documentary after that. Um, I don't know if uh, there's anything on the horizon. I'm sure there are. Uh, Next project will be a movie musical about the origin story of Viagra. What? That's what it says. About the origin story of Viagra, Pfizer's erectile dysfunction pill. He signed a deal with Netflix to direct and produce more movies in February 2024. It was announced confirmed as director. Oh, this was just announced recently of High and Low, the Kurosawa movie. Yeah. Huh. Of remake of that with Denzel Washington to star. I respect the fact that he's willing to just do remakes of stuff, I guess. But yeah, yeah. Uh, another thing I was going to mention about him is he's part of. He was part of that generation of indie film darlings that were coming about because of film festivals in a more direct way. I know he said before that like 
like one of the godfathers of his generation who was a little bit older was Jim Jarmusch. Yep. And then when he was at NYU, he went to school with uh, Ang Lee and Ernest Dickerson, who yeah. Ernest Dickerson, of course, became his DP for a lot mm-hmm. of movies. And I think Dickerson's directed his own thing since. Um, and so, and then right after them were, of course, like Quentin Tarantino, Paul Thomas Anderson. So obviously there's, you know, there's other generations that come. But again, he was part of that generation of, certain directors, uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, also around this time, who were being born and created in, around this time as far as their film careers yeah. go. And a good deal of those people have have a... That, that generation has a pretty successful, long-standing yeah. track record overall. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm sure mentioning him and Tarantino in the same breath is something that makes both of them angry um because they've have a long, it's fine, cause they long both standing see, they both see each other's as chroniclers of the black experience and <laughs> only one of them i think that's genuine and it's tarantino no just kidding <laughs> um yeah i mean Tarantino's a disaster in that regard and everybody's talked about that for a long time and yeah but uh i remember i do especially remember what a big deal it was when django came out and spike lee's reaction to that mm-hmm. and that as like a whole talking point i remember what a big deal that was and and he had said things about him in the 90s back after pulp fiction as yeah. well and and i think maybe even after a little bit after reservoir dogs too I, I don't know but like especially after that and he probably also wouldn't like i don't remember if he ever said anything about jackie brown but wouldn't like that kind of appropriative mm-hmm. measure of like black exploitation being used for yeah. that i don't know but yeah, and that also being an Elmore Leonard product too. That's all very like this whole complicated thing. Yeah, it's funny because I love both of them in their own ways and love all of those movies that were just discussed except Django. Mm-hmm. But um, we did but, an yeah. episode on that a long, long time ago. Feel free yeah. to go back and listen. You know what I remember more about that episode than anything is that we got to go eat Longhorn Steakhouse after that because we were like starving to death. It was like, all right, <laughs> we gotta go eat. I don't remember. But anyway, that, so where this fits into his filmography, then I think is interesting as far as Mo Better Blues because it's not his one of his big message movies like um, Do the Right Thing or Malcolm X would be your Jungle Fever or uh, Bamboozle. It isn't, but whatever. it also I but, think in an indirect way, yeah. obviously it it's there's probably a lot of autobiography in that about for him between I don't know his whole relationship with him and his dad, but being in that world, but also. There is a meta nature, I think, to this movie, too, about him being this black artist who is striving for excellence and is striving to be his own man and his own person and the roadblocks that come up because of that and, oh, I don't want to sell out. And, again, you think about who he was and represented at this time, you can't help but see him pouring himself into it. And I think he met his wife, the woman who would become his wife, uh, a little bit after this, so I don't know exactly what his relationship history was, right. but there were probably elements I would imagine of his own life that he was pouring into this in terms of, oh, I want to be in a relationship, but also want to be a professional and like yeah. how to navigate. Well, and all I that. imagine that because I think one of the most effective things about the whole movie is the bookended opening of the same children yes. living the same life out of. You need to be expected to practice this, but I want to go play and that whole thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, but that that with that that I see himself maybe recognizing that and his father and him of his father. I don't know, but mm-hmm. maybe like you need to be into this, you need to be into that, 
and even maybe he doing that himself of I need to be making movies and I need mm-hmm. to be doing this and being able to step back and say, you know what? I think actually I need we we need to live our lives in our own way, you know, and him maybe having a minor regret about that or well, yeah, or willing to change that in his own life. I don't know. Because, I mean, he clearly... Well, that's the thing. Like, does he, quote, love jazz music, Denzel Washington's characters or what I mean? Like, is that something yeah, he really know. loves or is it something that he just... Because he throws the baseball around a lot, too. So that's kind of this... Obviously, there's an inherent jazz and baseball are the two most American things that exist. Mm-hmm. But there's obviously this inherent like disconnect between the two because it's like the academic and the like, you know, the sport mm-hmm. and like not that those things can't come together. Yeah. But f- that's another thing I wonder of like what that means to to him also to Spike Lee of seeing himself as those two things, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but so yeah. Uh, and so what I like about this movie a lot is obviously the music's all incredible. It's yep. amazing. I mean, mm-hmm. um, I, you know, I, I love jazz. I'm not necessarily someone who like knows a lot about jazz. I just, it's, I'd like to turn it on and go, Oh, I like the way that sounds, you know, I'm right. not like some purist in that way. Um, but all the music's incredible and I especially love like Denzel Washington in this movie, this is an era where he was really coming into his own and becoming more and more of a movie star. And you can kind of, I think with a movie like this, see him aging into becoming the movie star that he would become. Uh, and certainly Malcolm X feels like the the ultimate maturation of what that's going to be for yeah. him in terms of one of his greatest performances. Um, but also like his relationship with Wesley Snipes' character, also Giancarlo Esposito, who, of course, was uh, very memorable as bugging out in uh, Do the Right Thing. Yeah. Um, And the sense of community that these people have while also all feeling competitive with one another and all, like, all thinking about what's the next gig going to be and what's my ceiling with these other people, which feels like something a lot of bands that we see in a lot of like movies about white bands or white culture yeah. or versions of things we see but to see it in this black context i think is something that was that felt a little new and different right. uh yeah. for that and then also even spike lee's character in the movie is this kind of hapless um manager who's trying to you know all he's trying to look out for his buddy Denzel Washington's character but also like He's gambling and he's not quite getting as much money as he can for the group. Yeah. And Denzel's character like defending him, but also like maybe some of those doubts are creeping in about some of the things right. Wesley Snipes' character saying about, oh, you know, he's not really uh he's not really um uh, you know, getting us what we need. Right. Um juxtapose all that with the relationships he's going through in terms of with his two girlfriends, uh, one of which was played by um Spike Lee's uh, real sister, uh, I believe her name was or is Joy Lee, mm-hmm. uh, and then also the other actress, uh, Cinda Williams, I believe. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you? And I, I know you're not necessarily the biggest Denzel Washington fan, but. What did you take away from him in this movie think, and his navigation well, of all those relationships? That, first of all, is that my thoughts on Denzel are very specific. I think when he was young, he yeah. was red hot, great. Mm-hmm. 
And then over the years, he's kind of become Denzel. I always talk about that on here, about when someone becomes themselves, and it's like that very tired, bored version of oneself that's just like, yeah, I'm just going to kind of do the thing. And he's this very just like incendiary guy who like says stuff about people a lot and has this just really bad attitude in the public eye. And that I just find very annoying. Well, also like he's done a lot of the equalizer movies. Action movies. And And again, we were big fans of Tom Cruise. I feel like I've been a little frustrated with him for a while about he's just continually doing overall pretty good, but ultimately so what? action movies even the mission impossible movies which i quite like so anyway i feel like when he was working with denzel and tony scott for example i feel like that's where it was some of the best stuff you know and and he really was on he was one of his key collaborators Uh, for sure i know they loved each other yeah Um, unstoppable i really think a lot of i like a lot man on fire i think is good and and uh and i've seen parts of crimson tide but not the whole thing but it seemed like um, though now they've not made a whole whole lot of movies together but spike lee and denzel washington together really made yeah so that really i I think this is a great performance i think it's this and malcolm x are his two of his best performances in general and so that's just to say that yes i am kind of down on denzel but with the caveats of well what have you done for me lately is more of what I mean, I mm-hmm. guess. But no, undeniably, at that time, I know a lot of people talk about Lawrence Fishburne that way, too. Um, I think they but, were like kind of in competition yeah. for a lot of roles over the years. And I think Denzel wins out on that overall. Um, but I just jive a little more, maybe, with like uh, Fishburne's whole aura. Um, but like either way, they're both still you know great. But And Fishburne was in you know, some Abel Ferrara stuff around this time, and then was in, like, uh, Deep Cover, and so there were... Which we love, and then later on The Matrix, And The Matrix, so great, he had a great 90s as well, but that's all just, and even obviously being in Apocalypse Now, like, it's kind of, it's kind of hard to live up to that ever again when your debut is Apocalypse Now, it's like... Somebody, please! Somebody, please get get this this man a gun. gun. Now those movies suck in their own but, way, but that but, moment's great. Yeah, you know the best moment in any John Wick movie though is where it's like something going on, and then Ian McShane just looks at the camera and says "Parabellum." What <laughs> in the the third one yeah. or whatever that was? Um, what do you make of the whole like you know his character navigating these relationships, and is there a quote, oh, the so, right one for him, wrong one for him? No, I think that it all works out the way it's supposed to. I think but, Joy Lee's uh, character. I think she's. I think she's just so beautiful. She's so sweet. Yeah. She's the one that, when I rewatched this, I couldn't quite remember all the details of it, but I was like, oh, that's the one he should end up with, and that's who he, he yeah. does. I love the slickness of the scene. It's very obvious, but I think it's great, of him arguing with both of them yeah. at the same time, that's and it's like different well, scenes. Well but, scene, yeah. And then there's just that moment where he just he's looking between them, and then he just looks in the middle at the camera like, uh, see, that's more what I like about like breaking the fourth wall stuff. You don't well, do it like, I was gonna mention, I'm speaking to the audience. It's I was going to mention this. Like, this movie you know, actually has a, a surprising amount of fourth wall yeah. breaking moments or spikely playfulness. The very beginning of the movie with the universal logo and it has a uh, uh, flavor flave yeah, yeah but like it's breaking the fourth wall you almost uh, to me that moment almost feels like spike lee of through the voice of flavor flave being like can you believe they let me make anything ever again <laughs> yeah. like i've got the <laughs> let's I'm, go I, like, yeah, i'm in a position right. where i'm my follow-up 
to do the right thing. One of the most explosive political movies yeah. in American that history. That also was a universal uh, movie. That and the fact that Fight the Power being such a big part of that movie that Flava Flav is in and of himself part of that. Yes. Like, yeah. you know. And, but and it, so, I love yeah. that moment because it's almost like, wow, they let me do something again. Well, I'm going to do something like this. That, um, Senior Love Daddy makes a vocal cameo of Samuel Jackson, who then is interrupted by Samuel a character Jackson. played by Samuel Jackson, yeah. uh, which but, I thought you know, was funny. Another funny thing about that, it's almost like a sonic bridge between the very last words in Do the Right Thing come from Senior Love Daddy, and then the first words in this movie come from like a hot man. Right. And there's like, I feel like this weird sonic bridging between those two movies, which this is seen as a far more positive insular world than that of the very fraught and uh, angry kind of melting pot of Do the Right Thing, which is all these different people living mm-hmm. there. And, of course, this Mo Better Blues has gotten some criticism for its portrayal of Jews in the movie. And I, think I was going to talk about that, that too, but, because this yeah. movie... You know, obviously, do the right thing. Which I was going to mention this about do the right yeah. thing. My girlfriend, now fiance, Laney, we watched that. I think back in the summer of 2022, that was the first time she'd ever seen it. And ever once in a while, like months or weeks will go by, and she's like, "What's that movie where it's hot and everybody's acting crazy the whole time?" Yeah, and I'm like, do the right thing. Is yeah. like, so like, it's a mad, that, mad, mad, like, mad world. Uh, like, yeah, and yeah, but right. she's like, "What's that one where yeah. everybody's like crazy?" Always, uh, always do the right thing. Uh, yeah, uh, but um. Uh, it's funny that's the way she describes it because it's like yeah Uh, put that effing picture on the wall of fame now but that movie is obviously so clearly about like racial lines racial division racial animus and it's particularly like I mean there's a lot of it going on throughout the whole movie but in particular like Italian Americans and African Americans in that movie and this and Koreans in some parts, yeah, and, yeah. not as much with uh, Jews in that movie, but but yeah. in this it's like almost we're purely within a black world, yeah. Uh, and I mentioned this last time about it, but there is like the aspect of um, John Turturro and I think it's his brother too, Nicholas yeah. Turturro yeah. Jr. Um, Junior. as the Flatbush brothers who are basically the ones I guess running the club who like they're. You know, they're, like, depicted as not giving them the money that they want or they need. Um, I was mentioning, too. They're their promoters, ultimately. I was mentioning, too, to Levi, like, how many times has John Turturro played a Jewish person? Uh, It's a random amount because you got to think about the times he's done it for the Coens. And then he's also did it for... the plot against America, also yeah, that's right. As a Southern that. Jew, which yeah, is just yeah. like what, like yeah. him as a Southern but he Jew, is, like, he himself is Italian American, yeah, I mean, from New York City, from New so, York City. And I was yeah. even looking like, you know, what's his actual, you know, descent right. and exact, yeah. and says his mother was born in the U.S. to Sicilian parents with roots in Sicily, and was an amateur jazz musician who had worked in the naval yard during World War Two. Um, it doesn't say what his, what, oh yeah, wait, it says his father immigrated at age six from, uh, Giov- Giovanazzo, I'm not sure how exactly you said that, from Italy to the United yeah. States. So, he's very clearly Italian-American, but I guess 
he can pass as Jewish. I mean, enough. St- I mean, if the Cohen it's brothers also, had, the, also, had the balls or the inclination well, to do it, it's also because the, the directors love him and they know he can do it. I think is the point. I I yeah. think it's more of that they they think he can do the job rather than he fits the type exactly. But yeah, I mean, but he does in a certain way. Yeah. Um. But yeah, so that was a whole controversy around this movie, the way they're depicted. I don't remember exactly, but I remember he said something basically like comparing the obviously you know portrayals of black people in film to that and saying well what about all the times that's happened he said i don't want he said i'm not gonna act like all jewish people are and these are his words he said something like and i'm kind of butchering it but he said something like i'm not gonna act like all jewish people are saints or that there aren't people like this or even that black people are all saints and there aren't people like that you know Blah, blah, blah. But, like, because you could see in any other movie, if it were a white movie, that the Samuel L. Jackson and then that other guy who's in... Uh, Do the Right uh, Thing. Do the Right Thing and uh, King Jack of New C. York. Oh, no, no. He's no, in a no, bunch of stuff. Yeah, 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 like, yeah. that guy, the, they would be maybe the only black characters in that movie or something, you know. What's that guy's name? Uh, I'm trying to think if I'm finding the right guy. Um... Yeah, that's him. Oh, his name is uh, Leonard Thomas. Yeah. So, yeah. like, that would be the most... And so, they're these, like, uh, loan shark, like, gangsters, basically, of, like, you know, African-American people that would be seen as, like, evil, you know. And so, like, I get what he's saying there, kind of, but at the same time, it's kind of like, yeah, but does that also... Is that enough of an apology to warrant these characters even being in the movie? Yeah. Like, you know, so... That's kind of a complicated question, I think, over that whole thing. Mm-hmm. But yeah. I don't know. Um. Well, he was—he actually was also in Bad Lieutenant. Oh uh, well, no! Well, we said King of New York earlier. Yeah, he's in Bad Lieutenant. Bad Lieutenant. He's I don't a cop. Him in I do barely remember him in that. As in the Victor small. Argo stuff, I guess too. I think so. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I mean, I do think, like, as an outsider perspective, there might be a little bit of anti-Semitism in the depiction of them. But all I'll say is also, as an outsider, the relationship between Jews and African Americans is an incredibly complicated relationship in American history and across social classes and social movements, especially in sometimes the entertainment industry where one feels as though yeah. they're being taken advantage of by the and other. And if you also take into account of, uh, uh, you know, black Muslims, that being yeah. another aspect to that. And I'm not sure exactly what Spike Lee's religious beliefs are anyway, really but having either. made, you know, Malcolm X, that doesn't mean, of course, that he was Muslim just because he made that movie. I'm just saying that that's such a big part of that movie. I, I wonder what, you know about that but think about it like this how many directors contemporary filmmakers can you even see have this many areas in their um legal issues yeah controversies marriage uh is that whether i asked whether or not he believed in god he said yes i have faith in that there is a higher being all this cannot be an accident uh yeah he's he met says he met his wife attorney tanya lewis lee in 1992 and they married a year later they have two children, so he's been married, good. To the he's same, married the same woman. The same woman, because that's not common in Hollywood, obviously. So yeah. Uh, yeah. Also, he, obviously, he's a famous New York sports icon in his own way. He is a non-athlete, New York Knicks or his basketball team. There's that whole. Uh, have you ever seen any of that thirty for thirty winning time Reggie Miller versus the New York Knicks? No. 
which there was that one playoff um, run of the Knicks versus the uh, I think it was the Pacers. I think that's who Reggie Miller played for, played for Indiana when Pacers. Was that? It was in the 90s. Yeah. It was like right around the time Spike Lee was a big director. Um, yeah. But like they were saying and doing stuff to each other during that series or whatever, and there was like a whole kind of documentary that was made oh, about okay. that. Um I, I'm vaguely aware of what you're talking about, I think. I remember the 90s in basketball was like, other than other than the Bulls and Michael Jordan, I know there was like a lot of like kind of verbal and emotional violence going on during that time of like just like play, between players and fans, and it was kind of a crazy time for the NBA in a lot of ways as far as that. Because I've heard all kinds of stuff about Interestingly, stuff like I know there's a lot of like Met stuff in this movie. Yeah. Uh, says he grew up a Mets fan, but he's actually now a New York Yankees fan. Uh, I guess he likes winning. Well, I was gonna say like <laughs> being a know, Knicks fan, I can, uh, again, I can forgive that. I'm not from the yeah. I'm not from the New York but, area, but like right. I imagine New York sports fans like they have to like. Well, the Knicks are big time losers, so like I want to have a winning right. baseball team. Like they yeah. want to balance that out. I get that. Yeah. Um, uh, it says in June 2003, Lee sought an injunction against Spike TV to prevent them from using his nickname. Never even thought about that before. Uh, he claimed that because of his fame, viewers would think he was associated with the channel. Did he win that? Uh, it doesn't really say. Because it's not Spike TV anymore. But uh, Obviously, he's a uh, pretty uh, liberal, yeah. democratic uh, supporting guy. Um he got into it apparently with uh, Charlton Heston, who was, of course, a huge NRA mm-hmm. spokesman. Uh, is quoted as saying that the NRA should be disbanded, and of Heston, someone should quote shoot him with a forty-four bulldog. Wow! <laughs> and you could see a picture of the gun on Wikipedia. He said he, he intended it as a joke. Like, yeah, I bet. <laughs> yeah, you can pry it from my cold, dead hands. Um. Also, if you ever follow him on Instagram, he's got some of the best captions. It I is can pretty think funny. Of. It's a lot of like show enough. Like, yeah, you dig. Yeah, you show dig. Enough, show yeah. enough. Yeah. yeah. Um, but getting back to the movie. Oh yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but uh, I would, no. But just, what I love about what I love about this session. though is that in that way it's an insular world, but it feels like any like we kind of said about the Charles Burnett films. Not that this movie is apolitical either. But what is political about it is that it's simply telling a black story as if they were themselves were white, like it was a white story because it's a human story, you know, and using jazz in that way that it could be anything, right? Yeah, right. Because, um, I mean, you've seen so many movies before this. I mean, you think about, like, The Sandlot, for example, which I guess was made after this, technically. Yeah, but, a little bit, yeah. But that, like, uh, I don't remember the year, so I wasn't sure. Yeah. Um, but that, like, you think about, oh, you want to come out and play baseball? Oh, I'm busy. And, like, that whole American image, it's like a Norman Rockwell painting. Yeah, right. But to have that would be black kids. Yeah, right. Like, that's inherently a political statement. You know what I mean? So, like, and, that ju- and the movie just being what it is, it's nice that it's like oh it's just the movie of what he wants to tell but it's it's more personal in that way rather than not that it's clear that do the right thing is personal because he's lived that life in some form you know but that uh that's just the more that part of the movie i think and that's why it stands out in its own way more than even his later work is that it's just him telling a story that doesn't have to be yeah it's politics is it's a politics in its own way, I guess. Right. But 
or it's more in a more subtle way. One thing I wanted but, to mention too um, about this movie is I really love the way New York looked in film in the very late eighties, early nineties. Mm-hmm. Like, like that's that's a place I want to live is the way New York looks in that this era. Like I think about this, I think about the Fisher King, um, in particular of like. The movie just looks you think so about, big oh, and God. vibrant, yeah. yeah. Uh, and um, and this the use of color in this movie, up, they kind of cleaned up New yeah, York in the eighties so. too. Uh, yeah. But it's um, it just looks, and then the, the use of color in this movie too is very strong. And I think you know it being set mostly in some nightclubs like allow it the conceit of some of that expressive use of color um, that you know, do the right thing had some aspects of, uh, that movie just like, it feels like everybody's sweating the whole time in, which is part of the whole point. Um, but again, I, I think if we want to wrap up, maybe our talk of this yeah. movie is just that I think this has an, probably an underrated dose of autobiography for him in it in a way that, um, you know, when you look at some of the more political movies he made, the the politics is more upfront and in your face than the text of the movie, and it gets to be a little bit more subdued with this. And again, you just get to see black characters for the most part existing in their own spaces and kind of pursuing their own uh, successes as well as tragedies all in one. So I think this is again one of my very favorites from him, and um, it's one that held up really well yeah. under rewatch. Yeah, I agree with both of those. It, it it's pretty great. So I recommend it. We watched a Blu-ray of it too that was I think mm-hmm. it was more recently come out and it looked terrific. So check it out that way if you can. It might be streaming some places, I'm not sure. Uh but up next, also a movie that looks terrific mm. from twenty eighteen nineteen. When did it come out again? Eighteen, I think. Eighteen. Twenty eighteen, if Bill Street could talk. You ready for this? I've never been more ready for anything in my whole life. You know I love you. No matter what happens. I'm yours in your mind and that's it. You and me all the time. Drinking to new life. Tish gonna have Fonny's baby. <laughs> I hope it's a boy. <laughs> Come on over here, daughter. You're a good girl, and I'm proud of you. Don't you ever forget it. And who's gonna be responsible for this baby? The father and the mother. When I hold you in my arms, I gotta hold our baby in my arms. We'll find a way. That child was born of sin. That child. It's your grandchild. What difference does it make how it gets here? Unbow your head, sister. We've known Bonnie all his life. He's about to pay for something he didn't do. These are our children, and we gotta set them free. Remember, love is what brought you here. And if you trusted love this far, don't panic now. 
Also, that trailer, of course, has, and the movie itself does, awesome jazz music throughout. Yeah, yeah you know what's funny about this trailer uh, is that uh, um, I don't actually remember it uh, that much at yeah. the time. Um, but this movie didn't get the yeah. biggest release either. I know, no, so I don't. Know I remember how seeing it in it Wilmington, was... obviously, but yeah, I just went and saw it because it was the new movie from Barry Jenkins at the time. So, yeah, you know, that, that was the main thing. But, uh, but yeah, so, If Bill Street Could Talk is a 2018 romantic, or sorry, American romantic drama film written and directed by Barry Jenkins and based on James Baldwin's 1974 novel of the same name. Uh, we'll talk about the cast in a bit, but there's a lot of people in it, by the way, just a, a good amount. Uh film follows a young woman who, with her family support, seeks to clear the name of a wrongly charged lover and prove the innocence before the birth of their child. Obviously, this being based on a uh, James Baldwin novel, it carried a lot of weight at the time. There was also around that time that James Baldwin documentary, I'm Not Your yeah. Negro, had come out around that time. Um, uh, actually, a little bit before that, yeah, 2016. Um, but it's interesting because I don't normally, I don't know about you, but I don't normally think of James Baldwin so much as a novelist. Mainly just because of I knew I know he's a novelist, but just because of his uh, time as an essayist and yeah. orator is so much more remembered in the public eye than I think his novels were, mm -hmm. uh, and because he, he wrote so many essays, and he actually didn't write as many novels either as you. Yeah, think. I mean, I think like most um, people, I think of the fire next time is one of his biggest things he ever wrote, right. and. Uh, and also, like you said, him as a public intellectual and as somebody who had opinions and um, him writing fiction is honestly something I'd like to read more of. Um, and this, I, I'd love to read the novel version of this uh, at some point. I haven't yeah. yet, but... Um, but yeah, so obviously this movie came out after Moonlight, which was a big deal. Best Picture winner. Uh, after after a, It took it yeah, a second, but it finally right. got there. Um, that's crazy how that was one of the most dominant news stories that happened back when it did and how obviously life goes on and we move on from yeah, it but and the, that, what a big course, deal that was was not even his first uh, project obviously had uh, made medicine for melancholy before that um, and uh, uh, then making moonlight uh, obviously uh was his big kind of coming out. And then this came out, and technically since this point, he has not made another, uh, directed another film. He spent a lot of time working on... Underground Railroad. Uh, the Underground Railroad. Which we liked um, a lot. Which was, yeah, great. Um, and has been working on that uh, Mufasa the Lion King movie. I guess that's kind of his money movie. Yeah. I don't know. Uh, but so... Uh, with that, obviously Moonlight was such a big deal for its depiction of not only the African-American experience, but the gay African-American experience. Um, and making this, it was kind of an interesting pull, one, you know, of both of these. And I think that was a, a, an adaptation of a book as well. Yeah, um, I think so. But then, yeah. of course, uh, 
Or a work uh, of theater, maybe? Let me look yeah, that up. It was like something... Uh, yeah, it had this funny name. It was uh, based on some something that a guy named Terrell Alvin McCraney wrote. Or well, maybe the fact uh, that he was a playwright. Yeah, an thinking. unpublished semi-autobiographical play in Moonlight, Black Boys Look Blue. Yeah. Okay. Um, I remember I remembered the name, but I couldn't remember yeah. who wrote it. Um, obviously that being such a big deal, and then to make you know and adapt James Baldwin, um, in a really big meaningful way, uh, kind of as a thankless task. Yeah. And I feel like this is kind of a thankless movie in a lot of ways because a lot of people forgot about it. But well, I remember uh, when it came out back in 2018. Yeah, it came out at around the same time that um, First Man also yeah. did, which of course. Uh, Damien Chazelle had made La La Land and La La Land and Moonlight kind of went head to head that Oscar season yeah. and then both of those movies came out and I remember in advance everybody's like oh those are going to be the two movies but and they are both kind of for different reasons like kind of fell by the wayside and they're both terrific in their own ways and strangely both also, of those men are kind of in this weird kind of period where it's like we're not really sure what you're doing or what's going on here and a lot of that has to do with like how do we treat new big filmmakers yeah uh, other than just sending them to do a disney movie or a marvel movie because chazelle's obviously tried to do tried to you know go on and do something like babylon which flopped and you know we liked but um financially was kind of a disaster and so then meanwhile barry jenkins he went and did tv he did uh underground railroad which we both love yeah uh but then it's like well like you said maybe his money move is to do a lion king prequel and that can give him the juice or the money or the resources to do something else but again it's a very awkward time to be a young great filmmaker who's kind of blowing up and it's like all right what's next what do you do next you know because um unfortunately babylon's flop would kind of lead you to believe well why are they going to give you a bunch of money again to do whatever you want, you know? So yeah. it's a troubled time. And as you said, I think it's true. This was kind of a thankless movie because it's such a big task to try to adapt James Baldwin for the screen and to follow up the movie that you were the you won an Academy Award for right. and was the Best Picture winner. I mean, that's a lot of pressure right. going into something. Yeah, and so... So, yeah, that's just to say that all of that takes away, I think, from just talking about the fact of how just kind of totally great this movie is um, in so many ways. Uh, a pretty high four and a half star movie, no, I, I would think. agree with that, yeah. Um, that you've talked about this before, and I want you to explain this because you're better explaining this than me, that his movies, unlike anyone I've seen uh, in a long time, are so tactile mm-hmm. and you feel like they're physical things mm-hmm. you can reach out and touch like Wong Kar Wai who I know he's a big fan yeah. of and his, um, his cinema is clearly right. influenced by uh, and so that. speak a little on that yeah that um, I think well, you know I was watching this again this was only the second time we had also seen this movie um, and I was like and I was trying to think like what is it about Barry Jenkins cinema that makes me think that and of all things, the thing that I... This isn't the whole thing, but I think one big thing is actually how long the shots are. The average shot length for this movie, I don't know what it is, but would have to be a good amount above... And yeah. and I watched, and there are there are some scenes where it's, the editing is more quick. Yeah. But on the whole, like... he He's so good at capturing moments in time. 
and you feel like that you're holding a moment in time. Like, there's tons of scenes in this movie. One I think about a lot is um, the guy, the lead actor, uh, mm-hmm. St- St- Stephen James. Stephen James. Yeah. Um, when he reunites with Brian Tyree Henry's character, um, after who Brian Tyree yeah. Henry had been in jail, and there's a whole very intense scene where he talks about that that we can maybe talk about yeah. later. But like of them seeing one another and them like embracing, and it's like basically done in slow mo, and it just feels so textured and so. And he does just close ups really well. He he's, he yeah. knows how to shoot close ups really well. And I remember seeing a video where uh, of all people, Paul Thomas Anderson complimented him on that. And he acted like he was shocked. He says, listen, if Paul Thomas Anderson says, I can shoot close-ups well, then wow, that like, means more to you than yeah. you'll ever know. Because right. you think, and I think he talked about some of the close-ups in The Master, particularly the scene between, uh, the major processing scene between right. Hoffman and um, Phoenix. But um, but he he's just really good at like capturing moments and whether it be in slow-mo officially or not, it feels like it's in slow motion. Like some of the shots back and forth between Stephen James and Kiki Lane, uh, you just feel like you are looking through the eyes of someone who thinks this is the most beautiful person right. in the world. And that level of care and attention and love that he has for his characters just very clearly sh- shows up in yeah. his movies. And again, I was really watching, uh, studying it this time. Is the average shot length? I don't know what it has to be, but is for an average Hollywood movie is three seconds or less usually, um, and it gets worse the more something's cut. Right. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know what it is for this, yeah. But I was I was paying attention in multiple scenes, and the shots were going on for like sometimes ten or more seconds, and that might not seem like a big deal. But what that has over the course of watching a whole movie is you feel like you're living in it and you yeah. feel like you are, again, like you're you're seeing the moments be feel captured. more familiar if you stare at them longer in its yeah. own way, too. I mean, yeah. Like and then it. sometimes there's like replaying of scenes, too, which adds to that recollection memory, element yeah. of Like the, what of we the movie. talked about with Contempt last time as far as his use of editing to influence uh-huh. memory. Yeah, and so, well, yeah, because I think my favorite, one of my favorite scenes in the movie is where they're on the train, kind of what you're talking about, and uh, she's talking about how long they've known each other, but saying that she realized he's the most beautiful thing she's ever seen, and there's those uh, close-ups on his face. Yeah, the, but, that, the cutting of that's a little like, quicker. But, but they're but, like, yeah. not, it's weird close-ups, it's not like of his whole face, it's a parts of his face, like maybe his nose or his and, lips, right, and or, then like, but and it's kind of a scant, yeah. it's kind of askew, and it's like it just looks very beautiful when you shoot that that way, yeah. And it's it's very uh, cinema verite in its own way, like of just looking at the the object, you know. Um, and there, uh, I think too, like the subject when you look in particular with his film work, whether and we've not seen Medicine for Melancholy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you look at this and Moonlight, and they're both kind of told in this like um, looking back past tense nature. Um, he does a really great job of taking things that are traumatic or um, sad 
but also finding nostalgia in that. And I think tonally that is an incredibly hard thing to depict because yeah. I think we can all think about times in our life that made us sad or we were not in a good place. But the weird compulsion we sometimes have to still go back and relive some of those moments because of the people that we spent them with that might not be with us here anymore, whether right. they be alive literally or not alive literally or like they're just out of our lives and somewhere else. And I think that's a very tender thing to do and to depict. And I think, too, when most American directors, for all their strengths, are not trying to be the next Wong Kar Wai. Right. And so when you get someone who emulates that kind of, that um that breed of Asian cinema and inject that into American cinema, it feels all the more novel. Now I'm not saying that he's ripping him off and yeah. he's only he's only known because of that, but I'm just saying like when you take that style and that's what frankly we should be doing. We should be watching other national cinemas and like saying, How can I take this but apply it to right. an American context? Yeah. And I think he's done a really terrific job of taking some of that um deliberate uh, that deliberate pace of something like Wong Kar Wai yeah. and Asian cinema and applying it to African-American stories and African-American characters in a way that just, again, feels like, well, if no one else is going to do this, I guess I'm going to do it. And it just that makes his mark and impact just shine all the more over the last few years. Right. You know? Yeah. Yeah, and I said that's something that's very specific enough where to make that into an Americanization of that I think is uh, easier to do than like something bigger you know uh, obviously it's big in an international sense but, well, but that feels very natural though too I mean it feels like that is Barry Jenkins just as yeah. much as it's one car why yeah, it doesn't right. feel like it's like I said a rip off or something you know I want to go back ever so briefly yeah. to talk about James Baldwin okay. too the James Baldwin does of yeah. all this because you know I've not read his fiction but I very much see his voice yeah. transcribed through this movie and a large part of that is Jenkins's decision to like in his adaption which I imagine is faithful to the book take like what is a very intimate story mm-hmm. but also set it against this larger socio-political backdrop that plays like an essay that this is a particular story with particular characters but that there is a, and I don't mean this necessarily in a negative way, but there is a didactic quality to, yeah. well, this is but one story of many stories of African-American men and communities who have been uprooted and targeted by prejudice, police violence, yeah. and that this story is acting as a a conduit to communicate those ideas. Uh right. You see that in this too, as far as the bald yeah, one. Yeah, because, it. I mean, you just very simply, like you know, seeing the black and white pictures of uh, cops arresting black men or the, the urban desolation. I mean, it feels like it's like you said, kind of a story that's part of a larger tapestry of civil rights issues. That at this point is in the nineteen seventies, which, if you're going by what the assumption is of a culture at that time oh we solved civil rights we're good whatever Uh moving on and it's like well obviously not and everybody knows that's not true well we just yesterday as we were driving home uh from a charlotte fc game yeah we're talking about reconstruction and how 
the Reconstruction era was like, usually when I, t- I talk to my students, usually American history is like a story of two steps forward, one step back. Reconstruction was honestly like three to four steps forward and then one to two steps back. I mean, yeah. it was like... For the time period, I mean, if you look at yeah. where the culture was from 1860... To like nineteen or eighteen seventy six. I mean, yeah, that is a monstrous amount of change in a good way, yeah. obviously. Um, and yet, the Jim Crow era came about, and a lot of and reconstruction the Wilmington race policies. riot would happen at the end of the century. So and, I mean, right. you know, or, or any any number of a lot of, of progress, but also a yeah. lot of not back to the way things were because things couldn't go back to the way things were, thankfully. But like. There is a, well, we're going to establish a, quote, new normal that is going to take nearly a hundred years to even yet again try to challenge again. Right. Uh, Which makes you think, by the way, it's kind of going off topic, but in the newer season of the Gilded Age, there was that whole section where the the, uh, black female kind of lead on that is a journalist, one of the leads on the show. And she uh, tells her parents, oh, I'm going with my editor down to uh, Tuskegee um, to uh, meet with Booker T. Washington and blah, 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 you know. And they rightfully are like, whoa, whoa, you're going to the South? This is like 1880. Yeah. So this hasn't been, that's like 15 years after the Civil War's over. That There's still that recognition of, wait, you're really still going to go down there? Like, that that really was not that long ago, you yeah. know, yeah. at all. Mm-hmm. It's basically like blinking your eyes and it's still there. Yeah. Um. But that, yeah, like you said, even still, the immense amount of change that that was the case. But that, like you said, and we can say that now. I mean, there's a lot of people in this country who still think it's 1860. I mean, there's a lot of people who actually do think that way. Maybe, of course, not in the sense of literally enslaving people, but in the same idea space of this is where these people should be and we should be or here. Or even that they think like, it's still 1960. Right, or too, that, like A little yeah. further removed, but still right. in this era yeah. of segregation. and you know, Right, that another version People, of it, yeah. quote, have their place and, like, and, uh, you know... Yeah. Obviously, that's incredibly racist and incredibly yeah. discriminatory, but again... The backwards that, concept of uppityness or whatever you want to call that. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, yeah, so... I said that's clear that I think that's what's worthy makes this story worthy in its own way too is to say yeah this was at a time when especially in New York City which is obviously a more liberal area than where we live you know that um, is to say that yeah in New York City it's still just as bad as ever as far as this sort of thing and not a whole lot changed in certain ways and and you know uh the uh, fear that people have that leads them to say things that aren't true, you know, based on assumption, cultural and racial assumptions that they have. Anyway, mentioned him earlier, but Brian Tyree Henry, who's only really in like one or two scenes of this movie, but totally steals the show in what scenes he's in. Um, We, of course, love him from Atlanta where he played Paperboy, and he's been terrific. There was a movie I heard he was really good in, and a year or two ago with Jennifer Lawrence. I can't remember the name of it. Uh, uh, that kind of totally went under yeah. the radar. He, he got was only some in a little buzz. bit of it, but he was really great in Widows, too. Oh, yes. Um, yeah, that yeah. whole movie's just really good, and it feels like everybody kind of forgot about that mm-hmm. and what the hell happened. But anyway, yeah. But uh, uh, so, but his yeah. scene in this where he's talking to uh, Stephen James's character about prison yeah. is 
like a slow moving horror movie without anything being depicted. There's no like cutaways to this is what prison's like. It's right. just purely in that performance. And you kind of like sonically get sucked into what he's saying. And then it's kind of abruptly broken by, oh, by the way, um, uh, Kiki Lane's Kiki, character. Kiki Lane's like, character's just standing right over there. And she's been listening as, the whole thing. As for, all this I forgot, is like, yeah, we talked about it at the time. I forgot she was even in the room because mm-hmm. that's how sucked in you get by that. And that's the power of cinema that a lot of people don't even notice until it's there, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. Um, but yeah. There are also a lot of, because um, this movie isn't just about race, it's also, there's a lot of men versus women yeah. aspects of this movie, and in particular with their family's reactions right. to how they are, how they take the news that yeah. um, they're going to have a child together before they're and married. And about sexuality in the black community, which obviously is such a big part of James Baldwin's yes. uh, uh, identity of being black and gay. And uh, um, and yeah, I, I think those are some of the best scenes, actually, are the one scene with her, with his family all visiting, which well, is they break like, the news to him right, and, and just it. obviously the total difference in the dad's reaction. And what I like too the, is that the movie, the lady's reaction, the movie and, doesn't make a big um, decision to judge, in particular, that one actor who plays his father. Yeah, um, who we were like, oh, we really love this guy on Tulsa King. Yeah, um, uh, Michael Beach is his yeah. name. Um. He plays his father. He was doing shortcuts. I don't remember who he was. I don't been remember in that. that. It's been a while since uh, I've seen that. How he like reacts by slapping his wife, uh, yeah. who's played by on I'm, I might butcher the pronunciation of this on on one uh, Ellis Taylor, mm-hmm. um, and Coleman Domingo, who we adore. Yeah, uh, it plays Tish's father, new to the neighborhood. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I forgot he's in that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, well, he's in our uh, yeah. Halloween uh, <laughs> Spooktober Spooktacular. Right. Um, how he you're like looking, kind of looking for candy? He kind of to- he takes him and yeah. he's like, "We're going to deal with our problems by going to drink at the bar." And then like, and then they're like, "We got to rob people." Yeah. It's like we're going to go hurt some people. Yeah. Kind of vibe. It's like what? But yeah. Uh, but then the, then you yeah. have all the women who uh, stay back, and there also is the like. The difference in the families also yeah. playing out, but like the religious aspect to that, and kind of the which yeah. uh, the term "holy roller" was used yes, in this. Love and we were laughing love about it. love the word, term. love the term "holy roller." I think it doesn't get used enough. But again, there is some like dynamics about, like we said, about um, masculinity and femininity, and how and what the roles that each play. And I, I really like that Jenkins doesn't try to apologize for the 70s he's just like this is what people yeah. how people were and i'm not really going to step in and as a, as the movie goes judge it i do feel like coleman domingo's character maybe is a little bit of a like well we love him and we got to do whatever we can for him as a way to kind of mostly present a more positive uh version of masculinity even though like you said he's like well we might have to yeah, we might have to do whatever we got to do, you know, implying yeah. that maybe they're going to rob somewhere or whatever. That's not depicted in the movie. Well, but, they well they don't rob plate, but they steal stuff from where they work and sell it on the black market. Yeah, but yeah. yeah. So um, that's a that's an aspect that I think should be mentioned. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting. I think that's a good like. 
I think that's actually a really smart from Baldwin's perspective and from Jenkins's perspective, assuming it's the lining up because I haven't read the book. Is that you expect him to like freak out or because something of the like. the the daughter's father right. you know, father that he would be angry that right, his but it's is. the opposite and well and then the man's father is fine but it's the man's mother so it's like a actually a kind of different well, and also type, the very but, first reaction he has when he's like we're gonna go out and we're gonna, gonna get, get drunk, drunk. <laughs> yeah he's gonna set his GPS to dumbass mother yeah. as he says in Tulsa King. But uh, but yeah, that um, that's just a pretty big difference that I appreciate in the movie of against type, which I think Baldwin was always looking to do. So Michael Beach's um, yeah. Wikipedia page picture, by the way, is wearing a Deadpool shirt. <laughs> was he in Deadpool? I don't know. You know who is in Deadpool is the cop in this movie. That guy, I think, supposedly in Deadpool. Oh yeah, I think he is. Yeah. Uh. I don't think he was. I think he was just like, yeah. maybe he's a fan. I don't know. <laughs> but to talk briefly about... <laughs> he's just a fan. Um, to talk briefly about some of the other actors in this movie, obviously uh, a lot of random people showing up, like Jane, uh, Dave Franco. Yes. As like, and uh, and then that one guy who's like in everything that was in the big short is what I always think of, man, who's like their lawyer. Oh. Uh, let me see. He was recently in the new Ava DuVernay movie, Origin, uh, also. Yeah, Finn Whitrock. Yes. The most white name. He ever. was really good in um, uh, the assassination of Gianni Versace. Remember oh, him in yeah. That? Yeah, he was in that. I re- yeah, I knew he was in something. That whole show's really great. And yeah. I highly recommend if anybody ain't seen it. That's like by far the best Ryan Murphy thing. Um, yeah, he was in Noah, supposedly. I've forgotten that movie, Unbroken. Yeah. Um, American Horror Story, Roanoke. Big Short. But Big Short was the first time I really noticed him in something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so it looks like yeah, he's in a lot of Ryan Murphy stuff. Um, but uh, he's really... Yeah, he's in this a little bit. And then, of course, Diego Luna shows up a couple times. And then Pedro Pascal in a one-scene appearance, which we <laughs> Levi, were Levi uh, said, do you remember who's coming up next or soon? Yeah. And I was like, no, I couldn't think of who it was. And it turned out to be him. Yeah. Um, it was around the time, I guess, was Narcos on during this time? It was, yeah. Well, yeah, it had been on for a yeah. few years, yeah. This was actually, honestly, more around the time right before... Um, uh, the Mandalorian. Oh, um, yeah. So yeah. that was kind of when it was a yeah. big thing. He had been in The Great Wall, Kingsman the, the, the Golden Ma- Circle. The Matt Damon movie. Yeah. Wall, Equalizer yeah. 2, Triple Frontier around that time. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. Wonder Woman 1984. No. Um. Yeah. And, of course, he had been on Game of Thrones. That was kind of the first really big thing he was in. But what's funny about <laughs> this, I was laughing about it at the time where he's like, you want me to do this? No. No, no, no. Yeah. And like, no, no, no. no. <laughs> and like, it's like, button out the cigarette. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just a lot of random big actors that come into this that is like, oh, okay, like they're in this now. And uh, yeah. But uh, yeah, in this movie, I said the, the soundtrack is just so good. I don't know who actually did it. Hang on. Let me look again. Uh, but it's just really great. Nicholas Bretel. Uh, yeah, that sounds familiar. I think he also did Moonlight. Yeah. Battle of the Sexes. Don't look up. I think he did the Succession music also. Oh, okay. Well, why is this so much better than that? So he also did the score for Underground Railroad. Yeah. 
Yeah. No, 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 no. Yeah, but that's really some really great music. So, um, yeah, just overall, really good movie. And, I, you know, seeing this again, it like, because, you know, he, Jenkins has not made, like, a whole lot of stuff yet. He's still younger. Yeah. Um, but seeing this is like, oh, wow, what we're really missing this right now. Like, this style, yeah, this right. look, this feel, this interest in adapting somebody like James Baldwin on the big screen but putting your own personal spin on it. Uh, you know, he knows how to cast all these parts just right. Again, we're all desperately waiting the next Barry Jenkins movie that isn't necessarily a Lion King movie. Uh, and right. I'm sure even that'll be something a little more different than maybe we would think it would be. But right. uh, nonetheless, yeah, we love us some Barry Jenkins. Yeah. So that about Good. does it for this episode of Overlapping Dialogue. But don't worry. We'll be coming back soon. Mr. Jeff Probst, what have we got next week? Stay tuned for scenes from our next episode. You got a run. What's wrong with her? Shit, girl! Watch where the fuck you're going. Oh God, you scared me. I thought it was them. What are you talking about? Them? Girl, I don't see anybody. Neither do I. Now listen, you gotta run. You gotta hide. They were after me and Vernon. Upside her head once too many. Mm-hmm. No, I never seen her act like that before. Oh man, she had another fight with T Bird. He probably beat her ass good. No. Extraterrestrials, strange phenomena, missing persons, lost continents, myths, and monsters. We examine these mysteries to determine, are they bullshit or not? London's West End, here, in the winter of 1888, a series of bizarre and violent murders occurred, which remain unsolved to this very day. Jack the Ripper. Was he a prosperous 
London surgeon, perhaps a member of British royalty. Well, our bullshit team has unearthed spectacular new evidence which suggests that Jack the Ripper was, in fact, the Loch Ness Monster. Is it possible that Nessie murdered five streetwalkers before returning to Loch Ness? Using undiscovered evidence, we've pieced together the events leading up to the first murder. Although this is a bullshit reenactment, it may have happened just this way. Hello, dearie. Show you a good time for a quid. For the wife and for free. Oh, gents, don't you want a girl to keep you warm tonight? Oh, me mum told me there would be nights like this. Oh, my. You are a big one now, aren't you? Come on, darling. Oh. <laughs> Mind you, don't you be stepping on my feet now. Aren't you in a hurry? Now, will you be careful? Not so rough. Wait a minute. <laughs> Is this the way it happened? Was Jack the Ripper, in fact, a 60-foot sea serpent from Scotland? Did I take this job for a quick buck? We may never know the answer to these questions. Next week. Hello, I'm Henry Silva. Ever since the Ocean Liner Titanic sunk on her maiden voyage in 1912, people have asked, how did it happen? Join me as we dramatically recreate the sinking of the great ocean liner, Titanic. Bullshit or not, you be the judge here on this station. Hollywood Shuffle from 1987 and Amazon We're on the Moon also from 1987. Interesting. I thought that there was like a difference in year or two between these movies and they actually came out the same year which makes it even more interesting because... Both of these movies are in their own way parodies of yeah. Hollywood or television, more explicitly in the sense of Amazon Women on the Moon. Um, just to talk a little bit about Hollywood Shuffle first. I actually saw this for the first time um, earlier this year. And, yeah, I, and I haven't seen this one yet, so this will be new for me when we watch um, it. Very funny movie. Levi actually, got, I think, got it, to me, got it for me as a Christmas gift, I mm-hmm. think, wasn't it? Um and very funny, basically parody at Robert Townsend, I think was his uh, actor's name and director's name. He acted and directed in it. Yeah. Uh, and wrote basically this parody of Hollywood, particularly from the black uh, actor's perspective and black creative talent's perspective about all the stereotypes and all of the um, crap that they have to deal with. And there is a very loose story that happens over the course of the movie, but it has a lot of cutaway vignettes and cutaway segments, which I think, excuse me, primarily what it's remembered for. Um, and they are, again, I think pretty ahead of their time and very, very prescient about Hollywood and how it views black talent and yeah. how limiting that is. And again, in the story itself, 
it's a basically kind of about a uh, an actor who's trying to make it and he auditions for all these parts and he's always auditioning for these pimps and low lifes and drug dealers right. and very stereotypical parts and he's like i don't know anything about that i just want to be an actor right. why did i gotta be defined by my race and again over the course of the movie it's it's uh parodying and having these cutaways and vignettes of you know par- like i said parodies of hollywood and how it's depicted yeah. uh, but not only not only just hollywood with blackness but even with white actors as right. well so yeah. um really funny movie mm-hmm. uh yeah i, look that forward I, to I watch thought it. a lot about I thought a lot of when I saw it. Um, and a, a movie that immediately jumped to mind when I thought of it was Amazon Women on the Moon, which has a lot of directors who played parts in it and, yeah. uh, in terms of directing it. Um, it's, so it's kind of an anthology film. But what I love is it simulates the experience of channel surfing a TV. Yeah. And so it cuts between all these crazy different TV shows and in some cases movies that are playing on late night TV. Yeah. And... I just think it's a really terrific viewing experience. I know when I first saw it, it was like I was literally channel surfing years ago and came across it. And it simulates what channel surfing is, which is a phenomenon that's largely kind of went by the wayside. Yeah, Uh, and it's it's kind of like a spiritual successor to a Kentucky Fried movie, um, which was... Yes. a ZAZ production. And Airplane kind of is in the middle of those two as being kind of related to that. Mm -hmm. Uh, Levi, what do you like or find memorable about Amazon Women on the Moon? I think the specificity um, of it works really well. I know I showed it to some friends of mine in college, and they were all into it. They thought it was hilarious, uh-huh. um, which is a movie I thought could fall flat on its face among uh, a certain yeah. group of people. Yeah. And so I was happy to know that it was that well-liked by them, yeah. obviously. Um, but as a movie we watch a good amount. I've rewatched it quite a few times over the years since I saw it uh, for the first time. Um, and it's just in general a really uh, strong kind of random approximation of 80s comedy. and um, Particularly yeah. all the talents that are involved with right. it. Which, yeah. Many of which were raised on television. So naturally, like John Landis, um, uh, Joe Dante... Um, Carl Gottlieb. Carl Gottlieb. And so there, it's just a lot of directors who were kind of genre, some genre filmmakers of this time period who were, you know, giving their own little spins and segments about all the all the stuff you just find on TV when you're, right. you know, just yeah. poking around. And again, I think these movies work well together because uh, Hollywood Shuffle is very much a comedy. But it is also like kind of actually making a point, a socio-political message. Right. Amazon Way on the Moon is purely just, I think, an act of entertainment, you yeah. know. And so I think they make a good counterpoint to each other, right? In terms of what they're about. Uh, before we end it, though, we were going to talk ever so briefly about uh, we went to a Charlotte FC game yesterday. Mm-hmm. Their home opener, also their first game of the season. They won and they won one zero. Yeah. Scored now, Levi, obviously, you're a big soccer slash associational football fan. Uh-huh. Uh, how did you enjoy the experience? It was great. I thought it was even better than the last game we went to because we went uh, back. What was it? June or July? Uh, late June. Yeah, it was late June because it was right before you went to Gettysburg. Uh, Gettysburg around that time. Well, no, actually, it was right before the fourth, and then after the fourth, I think yeah. you went. Um, but yeah, that was just a great. Uh, game in its own way but what i loved about this is it 
I felt more part of the experience than I had the first time at being the first game. I actually may have even slightly liked the seats better. This I did time. actually, yeah. yeah, because it was way further away. Um, it was further and up, and so they were more quote the cheap seats would be. We got them for ten bucks, but I mean, yeah. but I mean, it got, had a great view of the field. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that'd be a great spot for a football game too. Honestly, like yeah. Bank of America, which of course was right. where the Panthers play, but yeah. So uh, yeah, it was just a really good view. Uh, it was cold, but I kind of think that added to the experience yeah, of it's it in its own way. Um, and uh, it was just really cool to be. I I'm just obsessed in a lot of ways with uh, being in crowds and being part of a large group of people. Um, I find fascinating um it's just even just the, the feeling of being in it yeah not even participating in anything that's going on so much as even just being there and it, there were a lot of people there especially if you looked if we look to our left where we were that what that whole top bowl top bowl of it was full like totally yeah. full so there were i mean there were a lot of people um and uh it, it was you forget how big uh buildings like that are and then you go in it and you're like wow there's this many right. people here you know Mm-hmm. Um and uh, I just like the atmosphere of it. I thought it was a lot of fun and uh, yeah. I look forward to going to more. But yeah, we especially like that we got them for that cheap uh-huh. uh, tickets, ten bucks a piece. So that was nice for that. That was more than worth it. So yeah, had a great time. I didn't pay a hundred dollars for that. Like, yeah, you know. had a great time. But Plan yeah, uh, yeah, and uh, they only scored once, but at least they scored last time. It was zero zero. So hey, you know. Yeah, there was a uh, penalty kick towards the end that. Uh, you know, as Levi was telling me last night, as a as a very 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 casual viewer, you're like, oh, like that's a that's a goal easy, and it's not. I yeah. mean, it's it is more complicated than it looks sometimes. Uh, but it's obviously difficult for the the kicker and the goalie. But yeah, uh, it's yeah. just kind of tough to do. But yeah, great um, time. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it would have been nice to see some more scores too, even if it was a one one or a whatever. But I'm just glad they at least won one. So yeah, that was nice. But that was good. Check yeah. it out if you get the chance. <laughs> if you live around here and you can go back in time, go check that game out. Yeah. But yeah. This is Kyle. This is Levi. Take care. God bless. Shotgun for the test.
Texas Rangers. No West, young man, haven't you been told? California's full of whiskey, women and ghosts sleeping out all night beneath the desert stars. With a dream in my eye and a prayer in my heart. I should have been a cowboy. I should have learned to rope and ride. Wearing my six Just like Gene and Roy singing those campfire songs. Oh, I should have been a cowboy.